What is going on, everybody? Alex Rudinger here, and welcome to another episode of Rants and Revelations. It is December 2nd today, um, and we're going to do something a little bit different today. So on Monday, I was lucky enough to have a phone conversation with Dirk Viburen, uh, the drummer of Megadeth now. He played in soil work for many, many years. He's also kind of a renowned session artist. Um, if you look him up on his website, DirkVaburen.com, uh, he has played on so many albums and uh, without a doubt is one of my favorite drummers of all time. And I've met him a bunch of different times over the years here and there, but we've never really had a proper conversation and I've always wanted to. So I asked him if he would want to have a chat that I could record for the podcast and he was he was super into it. And uh, it was just really really lovely. It was truly a treat for me. Um, like he is such an inspiration to me and, and has been one of my favorite drummers my whole life since I can remember really since I started playing metal. And uh, I don't know, you know, it, it's really hard to put into words, honestly, what it meant to me to have that conversation with him. And, you know, I think we both enjoyed it a lot because uh, we were originally going to try to keep it under an hour. And I think it ended up being closer to two hours. So it was just really lovely. Um, we got into a lot of different stuff. We had nothing planned. We kind of just, you know, went for it. And this is uh, what came out. So I'm going to go ahead and cut to that audio here in a second. I had to do a couple little edits to the audio. Um, there were some parts where uh, I would talk into the phone and through the phone, it would come out the other end and get picked up by his microphone as well. So there was like a little bit of an echo at times. So I went through and cleaned it up. For the most part, I don't think you guys will be able to tell. It should sound nice and clear like we're in the same room, even though he was in California and I'm here in Maryland. Um, but if you hear any little edits like that, that's that's all it is. And uh, yeah, again, I cannot thank him enough for coming on. I I enjoyed it so much and I hope you guys enjoy it too. So check it out. Hello? Hey, Alex. Yo, man, how you doing? I'm doing well, man. How about yourself? Dude, I'm good. Can you hear me okay? I hear you great, yeah. How about you? All good there? Heck yeah. Yeah, no, you sound, it sounds great. Um, yeah, I always find that calling on a FaceTime audio or, or like WhatsApp audio just sounds so much better than a regular phone call. Oh, yeah, yeah, for sure. <laughs> it's like yeah. version version two of phone calls. <laughs> I know, man. It's uh, It's the future. Exactly. Hey, I'm recording already, so, you know, bruh, let's yeah, chat. <laughs> me too. Cool. Heck yeah, dude. Well, for starters, uh, dude, I appreciate you being down to have a chat with me uh, at all, much less have it be on, like, a podcast thing. Uh, just because, to be honest, it's like I'm almost mildly nervous, as dumb as it sounds, because you've been one of my favorite drummers for, like, a long time. So, uh, and I know we've met a bunch of times here and there. Um, but I think I've, I, I actually think I met you the first time. I don't even think you'd remember, man. I was really young, uh, played a show. I think, I think it was back then it was called Jack's nightclub in Virginia. I think either that or sonar. I can't remember where it was at, but yeah, dude, I've followed your work for a very long time and, uh, have always wanted to have a proper chat with you. So, you know, it's oh. glad to have you here. Thanks, man. Thanks for inviting me. And, uh, you know, I, I'm, I admire your work a lot. I was actually just reading up a little bit on, you know, what you've done and 
you know the albums you've recorded and stuff and so uh so yeah man there i I really appreciated all your kind words and it's totally a mutual respect you know you're you're amazing you're uh, (laughs) you're one of the most you know tight and creative drummers i've ever seen so uh so yeah, definitely man thank it's, you dude that that's like makes me all giddy for you to <laughs> say that <laughs> no i mean you're a beast man i mean there, there's a reason why people know who you are you know it's it's uh it's it's obvious when you watch your videos and when you hear the stuff you record and you know yeah so it's 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 totally a pleasure man just hanging with with anybody who you know enjoys the instrument at an obvious in an obvious way kind of like myself you know it's always fun because there's always you know, there's always good perspectives that, that come up in chats like this, I think. So thanks for having me, man. <laughs> dude, absolutely. And man, I, I don't even know what to say. Thank you. That that really does mean a lot to me, dude. I've like, yeah, really looked up to your playing and your work in general. So that is rad. Thanks, um, Yeah, dang. I don't even know. Anyway, all right. Uh, <laughs> yeah, dude. But uh, there are definitely some things I like wanted to ask you, just general things that I've always wanted to ask you. But uh, I wanted to start just by like, I don't know, man, 2020 has been kind of crazy. Uh, and I wanted to ask how like you've been doing with it since touring is not much of a thing right now. And I don't know how you've been handling it. If you've been able to like still have work and that sort of thing. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's been weird, man. I mean, I think, I think we all feel that. And, uh, you know, obviously stuff being canceled was, was the necessary thing to do. So in, in a way I'm kind of like, you know, thankful that, you know, there's enough, people making the right calls in a situation like this but at the same time it's obviously been tough for all of us and and you know i don't think anybody even even you know even like a band like megadeth that's that's an established band you know at, at a high level or whatever you want to call it like doesn't go unaffected by that yeah so so it's it's been kind of like i mean i'm sure it's the same for you or you're kind of just feeling out how to move ahead what's gonna happen what can i do you know i've been really fortunate that my students have been very loyal, you know, most of them have been able to continue their lessons more or less uninterrupted throughout the year, which has been super helpful, of course, and, and, and fun too, because, you know, it, it it keeps you on your toes when you're teaching. And then, and then it was really slow for a while with, with session work, I think kind of when, you know, March, April, May, when things were kind of unfolding, it was very slow, but since then it's kind of picked up again where, where, you know, it's, it's maybe not what it would usually be, but I've at least had some work. So I'm thankful, man. I've, you know, my wife and I have stayed healthy so far. We've been able to survive. Obviously when you're stuck in your house and you can't really go do anything, you also spend less. So it's kind of worked out, you know? <laughs> yeah, that's definitely true. I've, uh, I've always been like, I always kind of don't, go out much and do stuff or spend money on random stuff like that. But this year, especially dude, I've like hardly, yeah. <laughs> I've hardly left my house. So I haven't spent, uh, much money, but I'm, I'm really glad that you're still doing all right. And you know, all things considered, but yeah, I mean, like you, it's, it's just been, it's been very scary. Just the uncertainty of like what's going on with the music industry. And then also, you know, just in turn everyone's lives and what we're all doing. So, um, but yeah, dude, I, I feel kind of similarly to you where all things considered, I've been, I think pretty fortunate and, uh, had some things that I've been able to use to keep me afloat. And, uh, I'm glad that you have too, for real. And yeah, dude, I, I know, uh, you live out in LA, is that correct? Yeah. Yeah, that's right. But you're like originally from Belgium. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so do you have, a? 
do you have like hella family? Like, have you talked to, how is like COVID over there? Uh, yeah, yeah. Most of my family is in Belgium and, and, uh, yeah, it's, it's pretty much the same, man. I mean, um, it's, it's been, you know, pretty much the same schedule as here, except they had more of a, a calm period, like, you know, starting in the, the midsummer or so, like things were open more because I think, I don't know if it's just because people followed the rules a little more or whatever, but, um, you know, it's the same now where things went back to being bad again, they're locked down, you know, pretty much everything's closed. So it's, it's, you know, I think it's just one of those things that like, as history has shown, <laughs> there's no easy way around a pandemic, you know? <laughs> I know, dude, it's, that is, uh, <laughs> definitely true. I guess like it would help if, I don't know, I, I don't, we don't, we don't, I don't even know like what your politics are, so we don't have to get too political, but I do sometimes, I'm just like, man, if the, the u.s administration had like handled things better i feel like it could have been better but i don't know it's been a yeah dude it's been definitely upsetting um and just in terms of seeing what else is going on in the world but yeah i mean i i wondered that too because like i i could have sworn like did you live in ohio at one point actually i did yeah my wife you know uh spent basically her teenage years in in ohio she pretty much grew up there and so um when i met her uh, she lived here in LA, but then a couple of years after we got married, we decided to move back to the East Coast for a while because we were just both touring a lot and never really home much. And we were like, "Why are we paying this high rent? You know, we could be yeah, yeah. on the East Coast." Where at the, at the time she had uh, her parents living there too, and so it just made sense at the time, you know. So yeah, I was there for for five years in Cleveland, yeah, which was a lot of fun. <laughs> Damn, that's cool. Yeah, that's I don't remember where I heard that, but I you know actually. I think, uh, I think Bjorn might've told me that like, cause when I, the first band I ever toured in, uh, threat signal, like, I don't know if, if Bjorn Strid is still with that girl, but he was dating someone from the Toronto area that had been introduced to him by the singer of threat signal. And, uh, we, we like did a cover of, a stabbing the drama and he like did it live with us a oh yeah times. I, think, I think i remember that i think i totally remember that <laughs> dude yeah and actually like one of my favorite stories because dude keep in mind like i was uh, i just turned 29 like a week ago and i'm i was like 19 when this was happening and wow it was like my second or third trip up to canada to like do some stuff with threat signal and uh, I called the guys, this was like before, you know, now you can just like use your phone usually in Canada and other countries and it's pretty cheap. But back then, like you couldn't as easily. So I called them like right before I crossed into Canada and I was like, Hey, I'll be there in like an hour or whatever. Um, they were like, cool, we might be out, but the back door's open, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, cool. So I, I finished driving up there and I get to their house, um, John Howard's house. And I like went in the back and which like goes right into the kitchen. And I walked into the kitchen to find Bjorn Strid just standing there like cooking dinner. (laughs) And I was like, yo, what the, what the fuck is going on right now? Like, cause like, (laughs) dude, I was like a kid, man. And I, I love soil work. And you know, it was, uh, I I was just like, what is happening? Like no one told me he was going to be there much less he, that he was cooking dinner for us, you know? (laughs) Um, so it was like a like a really big trip for me, especially at that time in my life. I thought you'd appreciate that story. <laughs> oh, totally, man. Yeah, and I can imagine because you know when you first meet Bjorn, I, I distinctly remember like it's kind of you know he's obviously 
a big man, you know, he's like, he's very tall, dude. I didn't tall. know that until I met him. Yeah. yeah. And, and, you know, and he can look intimidating when you get to know him, you know, he's, he's a super friendly person and he's not at oh, all, yeah. you know, a scary person or whatever. But when you first meet him, I remember when I did my first rehearsal with slow work back in, man, when was that? Uh, 2004, which was when I first started touring with the band, you know, like I remember him just kind of, you know, standing in a corner of the rehearsal room, kind of looking the way he does. And I was just like, I better not, not fuck up these drum parts. You know? <laughs> so I know what you I mean. bet in reality, he probably didn't care at all. Like, I mean, he probably thought you were killing it, you know? I mean, yeah, I guess because, you know, th I, I ended up in the band, but <laughs> but still yeah. it was it was intimidating, you know, it was it's funny because then when you get to know him, he's actually like such a such a kind person and, you know, with a big heart and, and rather a rather gentle person, you know. Yeah, very much so. I, I don't know if he ever I, I don't know if he's still with that girl or if he still spends time in Canada at all. But for like the couple years I was playing with that band, I saw him periodically up there and it was it was nice. And then I. I mean, I saw, I've seen you guys, he always remembered me too, which I thought was really nice, um, you know, because I, I ran into, you know, soil work a, a few times, like, in the years that followed, like, uh, Brutal Assault, I remember talking with you and Krim very briefly. Oh, yeah, um, yes. That, dude, and that, that was another thing that for me, I was just like, the whole experience seemed kind of surreal, because that was my first ever, like, uh, festival you know wow um, that's a good one to yeah. start with <laughs> yeah i i will say like at at 19 thinking like wait we're going to europe and we're playing a show called brutal assault i'd never even heard of it you know and i was like that's so weird <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like but no it was great dude um but yeah like little things like that man uh i always you know those things like meant a lot to me even just like getting to meet you back then and stuff and uh yeah, it was so that was very cool. But yeah, he always remembered me every everywhere I went, every time I ran into you guys or went to see Soil Work and I always just thought that was nice um of him to to remember and, and stuff. So Yeah. Uh but yeah, dude, like Oh, I I know one thing I always wanted to ask you. I cuz the first th there's going to be some fanboy questions. I hope you're okay with it. Yeah, that. yeah, totally, man. <laughs> <laughs> no problem. So like I know that the first uh, Soil Work album you played on was Stabbing the Drama. Yep. And for the record, uh, while I'm talking about bands you play with, uh, I loved you in Soil Work, but I was also super stoked, just to go off on a side tangent, to see you get the Megadeth gig. Because, like, I don't know. I, I just felt like you'd been doing, you've been doing stuff in this industry for so long, and to see you get like a really big gig like that, not that soil work wasn't a big gig, but Megadeth is, you know, kind of on another level. And, um, I'd imagine, especially knowing like your general age and stuff like that, you were really into Megadeth, you know, growing up. And oh, yeah. so to see you get that gig, dude, like, I was just like, damn, there is no one more deserving of that. Like, I'm happy as hell to see that. I was sad to see you go from soil work, but like at the same time, I was like very thrilled for you for the record. So, Thank and you, I know man. you've been at it a while now, but congrats. So, Thank you so much, man. Yeah, it's, it's, it's been a wild trip and it's one of those things that you just cannot see coming. You know what I mean? Like I was, Dude, I was indeed yeah. a, a big Megadeth fan growing up and, and you never think, you know, oh, one day I'm going to play in that band. I don't know. At least I don't think that maybe some people think that way. I, you know, but for me, it was one of those things that just kind of came out of left field. And, and, uh, and so that makes you appreciate it even more, I think, because I mean, I'm, I'm not, it's not that I'm not an ambitious guy in the sense that I always pour my heart and soul into whatever I 
you know, uh, commit to doing musically. But at the same time, I was, you know, just kind of following my path. And, and you know, I'd been in soul work for, I think, something like 12 years at that point. And, you know, you're not sitting there thinking, like, how can I, you know, play in a huge band, you know? So it's, yeah. it's, it's funny because... You know, the, the way it all happened when I was on tour with the guys and my first reaction was kind of like, I'm not ready to leave soil work, you know, like this is cool. But I, I was initially called to just fill in, you know, to do yeah. like a month worth of shows. And, and of course, my wife immediately said, what are you going to do if they offer you the gig? You know, and I was like, well, you know, I, I'm I don't know that I'm ready for that. That was kind of like my first reaction. But then, yeah, you know, as it actually all unfolded and they've kind of started saying like, when are you telling the guys that you're my drummer now? You know, like <laughs> the way Dave says that stuff is, is funny, you know? So then I was kind of like, you know, at that time, of course I had, I had had at that point in time to think about it. And I was kind of like, man, like, you know, and I had friends telling me like Mike Heller, who you might know was telling me like, dude, if you, yeah, if you say no to that gig, you know, I'm going to punch you in the gut. Like, you know, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So it was one of those things where it's like, well, I guess this is what I'm doing now, you know, and, and it's been, it's been a wild ride, man. But, but thank you. Yeah. It's, 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 you know, a lot of people have, have, have told me that I was deserving and it's kind of hard for me to, to see that part of it. But I guess, you know, it's, it's, you know, I've always tried to, to keep my, my feet on the ground, you know, and, and not get carried away with stuff. And, and it's been a slow, steady build, which, which helps, you know? So I think, you know, I'm very grateful for every experience, you know, as we can tell this year, nothing is, nothing is a given. So, um, that, so every time I do something with Megadeth, whether it's a, a show or a recording or a photo session or whatever, I'm, I'm just grateful to be there and that I can be a part of it for as long as I, I have, you know, it's been over four years now. It's crazy. So, so it's Dude, just, I know. Yeah. Damn, has <laughs> it just, been that long already? Holy shit. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we toured for quite a bit, you know, after, after, because I joined like not too long after uh, uh, Dystopia was released. So, so, it, oh, it, you know. I didn't realize it'd been that long already. I mean, it totally makes sense now that I think about it, but time has gone by. Oh, you dropped something. I dropped something. Sorry. I was trying to readjust my mic here, and in the process, I uh, <laughs> had a little accident. No, it's can, can you give me it's two, all good. Uh, two, two seconds here? I got it. <laughs> what, were you, uh, what were you drinking that spilled? Well, just water, fortunately. <laughs> <laughs> that is what It didn't, like, go onto your computer or anything, did it? No, no, no. <laughs> fortunately not. <laughs> Dude, that's, like, my biggest fear is, oh, like, man. you know. Yeah, because I'm constantly working on my computer, and I always have drinks around it, and I'm so like paranoid about dropping something on it. <laughs> <laughs> I know it's actually happened to me a couple of times, and and every time <laughs> it's survived, you know. But uh, but yeah, it's scary. Like these days, I put like as much as I can on Dropbox because I'm always like, okay, worst case scenario, I'm not losing whatever I just worked on. <laughs> Dude, me too. I I've gotten really good habits of uh, well. I didn't always have them, but then at one point I had a hard drive fail and I lost all this stuff, including like four or five drum videos that I hadn't put out. And I lost like all the footage and the sessions and Ugh. that was many years ago. Yeah. And after that, like I back everything up on multiple hard drives or into a cloud. So <laughs> I hear you, yeah, man. man. Yeah. We all got to be yeah. kind of software engineers in a way these days, right? With all the stuff, like I know you put out a lot of videos and you know, you're active on social media, like talking about gear and things. And it's like, it's kind of what you have to do these days. It's not enough to be just a musician and, and record music. And, you know, <laughs> you just got to be out there the whole time. Dude, I know you definitely you do. And I feel like I kind of came up at a good time when it, I don't know, like that was kind of becoming uh, more of a thing, you know, like, I kind of got into the whole recording drums, like, 
at a very young age and I had a friend that was really into it and helped me and I learned a lot and I'm very thankful to that uh, immensely. That's awesome. Um, So you you record yourself a lot, right? I do. Yeah. I, uh, and it's one thing I'm, I'm considering a lot right now in, uh, this whole process of, of trying to buy a house and stuff because I'm like, uh, you know, trying to find a place that I can drum in, you know, and ideally like record in and you don't, you know, you don't have to have like the nicest room ever, but I'd like to be able to have a decent drum room, you know? For Um, sure. (laughs) So yeah, like that's, I've been looking at houses often that have like an A-frame kind of like high ceiling type thing. And, um, it's been a slow process right now trying to find a house. It's not, at least around this area, it's not the best market for if you're a buyer right now. Um, yeah, same here, man. I'm actually shocked because I think everybody was thinking, oh, with the pandemic, you know, house prices are going to go down and stuff. And it's actually been the opposite. Yeah, it seems like everyone's like moving out of big cities and shit. So like, I don't know if that has something to do with it, but yeah, I've gone and looked at a bunch and uh, I've kind of take, I'm taking a break now. I'm, I'm uh, like not looking at any this week because I leave, I'm going down to do the Whitechapel album and yeah, um, man, that's exciting. So are you like a full time? Um, not exactly, but like not, it's kind of weird. I get asked that a lot, obviously. And, um, basically like I'm open to that and so are they, but we're both in this situation where like neither of neither parties, me or them are in any rush, you know, like they've been in that band for together, the five of them for like, uh, you know, over 10 years and they've had a number of different drummers come in and out. And then on the flip side, me, I I've been in and out of a lot of bands and kind of said to myself, you know, after I left good tiger, I was kind of like, well, I don't, you know, I'm, I'm kind of okay if I just do like the hired gun session thing from here on, you know? And, uh, and I, I would join full time, I think, you know, I just am in no rush and, and we've all had this discussion and they're kind of like, well, if you're not in a rush and I'm not in a rush, like, let's just take our time. So I, I very much think that like it's headed in that direction. I think they would say the same. Um, but we figured, you know, do a year or two of touring and, uh, now, you know, we're doing this album too. And that was something we wanted to make sure or we want to make sure is, uh, something that we're all, you know, on board with, like that the writing chemistry is good and that sort of thing. And, um, so for now, we're kind of treating me as like a hired gun for all these things still. Uh, but we all get along really well. They seem to they seem to quite like me, and I definitely love all of them. They're uh, awesome dudes, very, very kind, like good people. And uh, they definitely get me as a person. I can be kind of neurotic and stuff, So like, uh, but they think it's funny, and I'm <laughs> sure I drive them a little crazy at times. But uh, So yeah, it's, it's headed in that direction, um, but... Congrats, man. Not in any rush. Thank you. Yeah. That's awesome. I mean, uh, you know, I've seen them a bunch of times live. Uh, You know, they've played festivals that Soil Work was on and stuff, and they're, uh, you know, a phenomenal live band, high energy, and their fans are just rabid. So I'm I'm sure it's pretty exciting to play with them. (laughs) Dude, it's, I mean, for me, it's very, like, they were a band I really, really, really liked, um, and I still really like. So it's, uh, it's kind of surreal to me in that sense. And, and actually what I wanted to say earlier, uh, when you were saying like, you know, for starters, uh, I, I definitely, I just remembered this and I wanted to say it earlier, so I'm glad I did. But, uh, when you were saying like that you got, 
the Megadeth gig, but that you were like unsure of if you wanted to leave soil work and that it was kind of a tough decision. Like it was something that stuck out in your head. Like I've, I've been in a couple situations like that and I was very indecisive and like very stressed out. And it was actually kind of a relief to like hear that even you like, I don't know, kind of have, have had that kind of a feeling where you're like, kind of like, well, I don't know if I'm ready to do this. Like, I, I don't know, you know, even though it is obviously like, an outrageously amazing opportunity, you know? And, uh, that was, I don't know, that was almost kind of like, uh, relieving to hear, to be honest, just that you have also felt that kind of way. Um, right. And obviously with solo work, I know it's like, you know, I'd imagine those are like, you know, your brothers, like, I know there's been some member change, but like, you know, for the most part, I'd imagine, you know, most of those guys a very, very long time. So it was probably a difficult thing to walk away from. Um, yeah, but totally. Yeah. Totally. I mean, it always is. You know, I think I think when you've been in a project for a while and you're, you've you've dedicated yourself to it, like I said, you know, I don't do things half-assed in general. And 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 in slow work, I came in in the beginning as a session guy, and then, you know, some years in, I was kind of pretty much the the contact guy in the band and the guy talking to management, the label, and this and that. You know, Bjorn also was always, of course, there as well, but. You know, it's not his favorite thing to deal with business stuff. So, so a lot of times yeah. I was actually the guy kind of taking care of stuff. And so, you know, it meant a lot to me. And, and I was, you know, there was a part of me that was frustrated with Solwork not seeming to be able to, to reach another level, you know, like we tried really hard. And, and when we did The Living Infinite in 2013, I got like great reception from the press and the fans. And then we had, you know, management issues that kind of prevented us from really promoting it the way it should. So that was kind of a, you know, bummer because we're like, okay, we have an album that, you know, we're really proud of people really like it and we can't really push it the way we should have been able to. Um, So, you know, and then by that, after a while, you're just like, okay, you know, I think this is the level where Soyworks is going to be at. It's not going to, you know, that was my thought. I was like, how can we make this grow? And then I felt that there was kind of a, how should I say, like, you know, we just had different takes on that. I think those guys, for the most part, were more comfortable just doing it the way it was, and I wanted to push it further. I was kind of like really trying to find ways to, you know, to just make the band more known and kind of realizing that maybe it just wasn't going to happen. So it was, at the same time, the Megadeth thing kind of came at the right time for me, even yeah. though I wasn't necessarily thinking like, oh, I'm going to leave solo work tomorrow, you know, but when it all kind of unfolded the way it did, you know, even Bjorn told me is like, I think this is good because I think you're just more ambitious than we are, you know, and yeah. and I don't want you to feel like you're stuck in something that, you know, isn't isn't doing what you wanted to do. So, but what I wanted to say, you know, the biggest, you know, to go back to what you were talking about, the, the hardest time I ever had was when I joined Soul Work, actually, because at the time, my band Scarve, uh, which, yeah. you know, I had founded, you know, many years before. I was really like into that, and and um, around the time I started playing with Soulwork, we uh, released an album called Irradiant, which did pretty well. And- I love that album, dude. <laughs> oh, thanks, man. Thank yeah. you. Yeah. Um, and so that was that was tricky for me because um, Scarf started to get like festival shows and some tours, and you know things were kind of taking off. Everybody was super excited. People starting to talk about us, and and at the same time, here I am, like you know, playing with a band that's more established, that's you know, touring the world versus you know, Scarf was kind of touring Europe at the time, 
Um, yeah. And so it was a dilemma for me. And, and for a while, you know, the sower guys were like, so are you joining the band or what? And I was kind of like, ah, I don't know, like, give me time. You know, <laughs> I kind of dragged it out because I just couldn't make up my mind, you know, if I because I knew if I joined slow work full time like that, I, that scarf would be pretty much over because I was also kind of a locomotive in that band. And so, yeah, eventually I got to the to the decision that like, look, if I want to do this, you know, I, I was realizing the difference between what it is to be a, an established band that's actually making money on the road and, you know, that's got like a solid cycle with albums versus just trying to scrape a few pennies off with Scarf. I don't think Scarf ever made any money, to be honest. So so yeah. it was like, okay, you know, am I going to do this as a job or am I going to, you know, do it as a passion and, and get a real job soon? Because by that time I was like 30 years old, you know, things yeah. were starting to be like, okay, you know, I need to figure out what I want to do with my life. But it's tough, you know, it's a tough decision no matter what. And, and in the end, it's like you just got to follow your heart, man, you know. Damn, dude, that actually like, it's very interesting like, I don't know, in addition to this, like being, I think, cool content to have on like a podcast, like it's actually really just nice for me to like, because dude, I've been in that same, like, I've I've had situations like that, where I don't know, I, I, I was in a couple things where I was really unsure of what to do. And uh, even with, uh, with Good Tiger, that's why I kind of inevitably left, I was you know, we, we weren't even, we hadn't done the band for super long, but as things were moving those three ish years, you know, we kind of like didn't quite get the support that we were kind of told we were going to have. And everyone else in the band had, uh, other jobs that they did off of tour, um, where they had income. And, and when we kind of noticed that it wasn't really growing in the direction we had hoped it would, um, everyone else was kind of like, well, that's okay, you know, and I was kind of like, well, shit, like, right. I thought we were going to try to, you know, kind of push this a little further. And, um, you know, I kind of really put all my eggs into the basket of like being a performer right. and, um, you know, it, it was upsetting and it, it became like something that was really conflicting for me because I was like, well, I, I, cause at that point I'd kind of been turning down some paying gigs and, uh, to go out and, and lose money on tour with, with those guys, but I love those guys. And, you know, it was my own band and I was right. like, okay, well, what am I going to do here? And it was all like, you know, very stressful. And I relate to that. Um, and it's interesting to hear, you know, you've kind of gone through that as well with not only with slow work, but with scarf and for the record, uh, irradiant and the undercurrent. I, I love those albums. They're sick, man. <laughs> Thanks man. <laughs> Hell yeah, dude. Yeah. Dude, yeah. I, I like, at one point, a long, long time ago, I'll just go off on a quick side tangent. I like when I first got really into your playing when I was younger, I like went on your website and I was like, oh my God, there's so many albums I just played on. And I tried like finding all of them, you know, <laughs> um, I couldn't find all of them, but I, I did get a lot. So nice. Yeah. But I do. I like those albums a lot. Yeah. They're badass, man. Thanks, man. Yeah. Um, I mean, that was, we spent so much time working on those things, man. We, we would rehearse like four or five times a week, you know, cause we were kind of like at that age where even though Patrick and Sylvain were both a little bit older than me, but, but it was basically the three of us, the two guitarists and me, and we would rehearse like four or five times a week, you know, and, and just Hell in yeah. the morning I would go over to, to the rehearsal place, like at 10 AM, 10 30 AM. And we'd rehearse until two or two thirty, and just, you know, so there was a lot of there was a lot of work put into making those records and 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 I was really you know it was it meant everything to me I mean Scarf was like my life you know even though I was also playing with other bands and doing other stuff because I had to but you know it was it was really where my heart was and so to leave that behind it's like I can totally relate to what you feel with Good Tiger you're just kind of like 
you know, at some point you realize like, this is not going to go where I want it to go. And, and, you know, and, and nobody else is really making it happen. So what am I going to do? And, and that's, that's what's tricky about being an artist. It's, you know, people see the bright side of it where you're on stage playing the songs, doing the records and stuff, but the whole thing behind the scenes, you know, it's, there's a lot of other things. There's the touring aspect, which, you know, I'm, I'm sure has been discussed a trillion times, but that that's not a lifestyle everybody can handle. And then there's, and then there's situations like that, where it's like, if you want to make a living being a musician, you got some hard decisions to make because it's far from yeah. evident. You know, you can be, I mean, it's proof, you know, like you're really good at what you do. You're like an established name in, in, in the metal drumming scene, but that doesn't mean that it's just easy. You know, that doesn't mean that everybody's just going to be knocking at your door and, and the money's flowing in. Like you gotta, you gotta work hard. As I was saying earlier, yeah. you gotta be like, you gotta hustle. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You gotta hustle, man. And then on top of that, you gotta, you gotta make the right calls when, when they happen. And sometimes that's just, yeah. I mean, there's no easy answers. <laughs> Dude. Yeah, you're right. And, and that I definitely like you with Scarve. Like one thing that I loved about good tiger was that I, you know, I'd kind of always, there were drummers that I followed growing up that like kind of, they had their own identity, but it kind of like grew alongside a band, you mm -hmm. know? And I always kind of wanted that. And I wasn't upset that I, I didn't get that. I'm, I've always been like immensely thankful for the, the early opportunities I had that really helped get my foot in the door. Um, even when, you know, some of them weren't always like the most healthy situations and, and stuff, but like, I'm still, I wouldn't change anything. Like they helped me immensely. And, but one thing, you know, when I did, when we started Good Tiger, it was really exciting to me to think that I'd be like an original member of this band that I could kind of like have my own drumming identity grow alongside this band. And like, um, that was something I always kind of really wanted. So like when I left that, it was kind of like, I felt like I was like, okay, I guess I'm kind of accepting that. Like I might just be doing this hired gun route. And for a long time, I kind of fought that. Now I'm like kind of very at peace with it and I'm, I'm even happy with it. And it also doesn't mean that I won't make some really awesome music or, or join another band full time. It's just like, it was like this weird thing for me where I got stuck in this mindset of like thinking that, I don't know, it wasn't the path I wanted to go on for some reason. But right. anyway, I went off on a rant there. I don't know what I was trying to say exactly, but... No, no, it's, it's super um, interesting, man. I, I love to hear it because it's... it's um, I, I actually have something to add to that as well, which is... Um, so in Scarve, I was, you know, which I'm sure you can relate to with your experience in Good Tiger too. You know, I was really... You know, my input was really important to me. So it was really a, a collaboration on the on the music and and even though you know i was playing with these two guys that were really good on guitar and i was pretty shitty so i i tried to write some riffs and some of them here and there worked but you know i always felt like way inferior to those guys and so i was kind of like i'll just try to contribute on drums so i would record a lot of drum ideas you know but that was really an important part of it and then you know when you join a band like i had it with Solwork and then now again with megadeth you know where there's a whole catalog of stuff that you have to learn and that you can't really, you know, I mean, of course, you can put your stamp on it. The Sora guys are always very, like, just play it however you want, as long as the key things are there, you know, we don't care. So yeah. so I had a lot of liberty. With Megadeth, it's a little bit more like, well, you know, these are, like, anthems. You can't just really go and change them. I don't even want to do that, you know. I want them to sound, yeah. like, the way I would want to hear them, which is, like, the way they sure. were played on the record. So so it's a different job. And, and so, you know, of course, over the years, and now, too, with Megadeth, I recorded earlier this year, you, you start having some input, but 
at the end of the day, you know, four years from now or three years from now when we're touring, how many songs will we play from that record? Maybe two, you know? So right. it's like, yeah. so most of the time I'm going to be playing other people's parts. And so to echo off of what you were saying, you know, I, I was always kind of intimidated by these other musicians being way better than me at their, at, at like guitar and bass because that's what they did. And I was a drummer and I didn't really know how to play guitar just a little bit, you know. And my yeah. wife started pushing me at one point and she's like, you should make your own music. And I'm like, I suck, you know, I don't, I can play a little bit of guitar, like enough to s sometimes write a riff or whatever, but I just ha didn't have the confidence. And she kept saying like, you can, you should just, just do it, you know. And that's how Ben C was born, you know, my, my grindcore band, which was just, yeah. just kind of being like fine, sitting down and just improvising a bunch of drums and then picking up my guitar and just going like, okay, I'm just gonna, you know, write some stupid riffs with my like grade A beginner level, you know, <laughs> guitar playing, like zero technique, no clue what a chord is or how to, how yeah, to you know, yeah. do anything. And, and then now, you know, fast forward, like almost 10 years later, like that's now, uh, you know, a super important thing to me because it's where I put a lot of my artistic expression you know i've gotten a lot better at playing guitar because of it you know it's it's an exciting thing now and and if it wasn't for that initial push and in me kind of getting over my you know fear of not being good enough to play guitar i wouldn't be here, here doing this today and and now it even got to the point where like i contributed music for the megadeth record you know which i don't know yeah. which songs are going to be on it so i don't know if you know my stuff will be on there in the end because who knows we recorded a bunch of songs and i don't think yeah. probably all of them will be on the record necessarily but but anyways i was able to build up enough confidence to where I, i could go to dave mustaine of all people and be like hey here's some riffs or a song or whatever you know so so Dude, i that's think that's awesome yeah i mean it's exciting it's it's kind of like funny to talk about it because I, i don't really consider myself a guitarist at all you know um, yeah. i'm a drummer and that's what i do and and the guitar for me is, is more something that you know i just kind of have fun with because i like music and i like creating stuff But, but, you know, that's the thing when, because I've had those feelings too, like what you were saying about, should I just be a session guy or, you know, what am I going to do? You know, I, you kind of feel a little bit lost, like you're in, living in other people's world, you know, in a way. And, and, uh, and, yeah. and so for me, it was really important to like, okay, I can do that. That's fine. Like, I'm really thankful to be doing this, but I need to have my own creative output, my own expression where I can 100% do what I want, when I want it, how I want it. And then just work with people that I like and, you know, no pressure. And that's pretty much what Ben C is, you know. So it's, it's, uh, anyway, I just want to talk about that for a second. Dude, no, I, I'm totally, yeah. Like, cause I feel that very much. I, I get that. Well, I think the best thing for me that has actually come out of 2020, uh, aside from, you know, I'm, I'm stoked to do this Whitechapel album and stuff, but like I started messing around with electronic music and I put out this little EP and I'm, Nice. working on more songs and dude i have no idea if it's any good honestly it might be terrible like i do have one friend that kind of does electronica like kind of for a living you know he he at least he makes enough you know kind of just doing streaming and stuff where he can you know pay for his apartment and stuff and he's a pretty relevant artist in that genre but man um i'll send him stuff sometimes and he's very critical and like sometimes i'm like damn all right i didn't like I'll, he'll he'll be very honest with me but i kind of like that too he's blunt and right because i'm trying to get better at it but it's been it's been really exciting dude because like whether it's actually any good or not it's just like an outlet that i you know because I, i like you i like to be involved musically and and it's something that I can do whatever I want with, even if it never goes anywhere, it's just like really enjoyable for me to do. And it's like this kind of release that, you know, because I can structure things and be melodic, you know, I don't, 
and and dude like likewise i don't have any like like my rhythmic theory is great but like melodically i i'm you know i have a decent sense of pitch i think but other than that (laughs) i don't have any training there um but dude yeah like it's it's just interesting to hear that as well because um and and there are times like uh where i get kind of uh, uh some kind i've had a session you know since doing good tiger and stuff where like uh i kind of have more input like the intronaut album those guys were really into me kind of doing whatever i wanted they had like some input but for the most part you know they really let me write the drums and uh nice that was cool but yeah but like you said it's you know um sometimes you know you have to kind of when you're playing someone else's existing material you have to like uh, you kind of have to like keep in mind the the history of the band's style and uh, try to kind of cater to that while still maybe trying to put your own twist on it, I guess. And exactly, um, yeah, I always felt like you did a really good job of that with soil work because I listened to the Henry Ranta stuff, you know, prior, and um, I felt kind of like as the band as you progressed with that band, uh, it's like you almost kind of like transitioned into it, like. I mean, even on Stabbing the Drama, there's some pretty Tecker's drums going on, dude. That shit's sick. <laughs> but, uh, you know, like, as it went on, there was, uh, I, I don't know, it seemed like it kind of turned into more of your style. But it wasn't like this overnight thing where, you know, if you hadn't, uh, you know, like if you had only listened to Sawyer Work pre you being in them and then listened to Stabbing the Drama, it wouldn't be... Uh, like a night and day change in terms of like stylistically being totally different. Right. Um, right. And I, I always really liked that. And I always uh, kind of kept that in mind because, you know, trying to play cater to other people's ideas or other people's, what am I trying to say? Goddamn. Uh, like the history of a band sound and that sort of thing. And, uh, uh, and it's funny you said you, you've gone to Dave Mustaine with riffs too. Cause I haven't done that exactly with Whitechapel, but I have, uh, there's a song uh, on this Whitechapel album that started with me just, I just programmed random drum ideas that I had and uh-huh. sent them to the guys. And Alex Wade, one of the guitarists, ended up like writing some riffs around it. And inevitably, I ended up changing the drums to be pretty different than what I originally wrote. But like, it it really helped spark this song, and it was exciting to me that I I got to be kind of like involved in that process at all you know dude that's super cool Um, yeah i mean exactly that's a great way to do it as a drummer i actually did a lot of that for well a lot i did some of that for uh this this project that i'm in now with uh shane embry and uh jacob from uh converge and jesper from nozzle you know we have this band called blood from the soul which used to be an old oh dude yeah yeah, an Uh, old shane project you know from way back (laughs) oh man uh yeah then uh nazem right um because you were going to do, Keith Mara told me that you were going to potentially like track some drums for that or something. Oh, that um, that was something different, I think. Uh, yeah, it was the cover EP that Keith was doing. Yeah, that was, yeah, exactly. That was something else which which ended up not happening on my end. But uh, now I, this is I a, ended up doing it. Yeah, yeah. How was that, man? Because Nazem dude, is it, so much fun. <laughs> I totally forgot about that. Um, dude, it was a lot of fun. I uh, It hasn't been released yet, but I'll... I, Will Putney mixed it. Um, I'll nice. send you, after we get off of the thing, I'll send you the tracks if you want to check them out. Um, I'd love to but, hear uh, that, man. One of my, yeah, one of my yeah. favorite grindcore bands. <laughs> Dude, to be honest, I had I wasn't super familiar with him before I had done it. So, like, I, I was like, okay, I'm, like, trying to do, like, grindcore, but, like, a kind of modern 
Keith Marrow approach, you know, and right. I definitely, I'd love for you to hear it, you know, cause I, uh, but yeah, it was really fun to do. And that kind of, he came to me with that, like kind of right at the beginning of quarantine and everything. So I was like happy to have something to do. For um, sure. Yeah. But yeah, that's so funny. I forgot that Keith did mention to me that you were, you were going to do it, but then you were like, well, I'm also playing in this band now with this guy from that band. So yeah. maybe I shouldn't, um, yeah. or something. Yeah, uh, that's funny. Anyway, I didn't mean to cut you off there. I just no, no, that. no, totally cool, man. I forgot about that too because yeah, I think it was Leon who asked me about that, and you know, I've been yeah. working with him on various things. He actually guested on one of my upcoming Ben C tracks and stuff, and you know, super cool dude, and and uh, and you know, obviously, I'm a huge Keith Marrow fan too. He's amazing. So, mm-hmm. but but that's cool, man. Yeah, but but yeah. Anyway, like I, I think what I was talking about. Um, you know, just composing as a drummer, Shane said to me with Blood From The Soul, because we had a bunch of songs that we started with that he wrote, and then he's like, hey, can you just, like, record some drums, you know, and, and just, like, send them to me, and I'll, I'll just use them to, you know, to to write riffs over. And, and so I pretty much just, you know, recorded song structures in the style of how I heard, you know, Blood From The Soul, like the first album, which yeah. I grew up listening to. And and those songs ended up, I think I did two for that album, the one that that, that just came out or is coming out. And, you know, he just took it, wrote riffs over it, you know, flipped maybe one or two drum parts here and there. And and that ended up working great. And I was like, man, that's a cool way of contributing because usually I think it's actually funny. One of my favorite drummers of all time, Dave Lombardo, he recently spoke in an interview about, you know, how, how he felt that he really had some important input in like the old Slayer. Yeah. You know, you don't get credit with songwriting. Only people who play guitar or, or write lyrics or whatever tend to get, yeah. you know, the author rights. And, you know, I think... It's funny, I don't know how you, you did that in your bands or like, let's say in Good Tiger, for example, but with Scarve, you know, we always felt that when we decided on the splits between the rights for the songs, we always felt that like, first of all, you know, we didn't give 50% to the lyrics because we were like, okay, you know, I wrote most of the lyrics in Scarve, but I was like, okay, it's not like Bob Dylan here, you know, this is like, you know, the vocals in this yeah. band are not like They're half, of, half, of, the, half yeah. of the song, you know, it's like we spend way more time writing the music and then you know, okay, we need some words so somebody can sing over it, you know, so it's, so we, we split that differently. And then we split the musical part, like, you know, we tried to do it in a way that made sense for who actually spent the time and came up with the ideas. And so I got a cut of that because I was always there rehearsing with the guys and I brought a lot of drum ideas and we structured the songs together often and stuff. So, so it's kind of, it's kind of interesting that whole, you know, I don't know how you feel about all that. No, I, I, uh, you know, it's funny. I've, Cause that's the thing when I was a lot younger, like when I first started playing with bands um, and when I like f- first joined the faceless dude, I was just so stoked to like get gigs that I didn't even know uh, to like ask about anything like that, you know? Um, and, you know, after being in some, a couple kind of situations that weren't the healthiest, like when we did good tiger, you know, I, when I first started talking with Des about doing it, uh, Des Daria Nagel, he's the guitarist in that band. And, you know, I asked all kinds of questions like about more of the business side of it. And, uh, in that band, we also just did, you know, everything equally. Um, and regardless, you know, because I think, and dude, you know, because you mentioned that, like, it is my experience from talking with people that all of the most successful bands that are like real band bands, like, you know, there are definitely uh, exceptions, like if it's a super big kind of gig and it's more of a hired gun thing that's been around for a long, long time, then I get it. It's it's kind of different. But 
some of the more modern bands, I find that the most successful ones uh, kind of do this, kind of do a thing where everyone's treated equally, you know, not just vocals and uh, guitar, but like it's like an even split on the licensing or whatever for everything. And uh, like I know, you know, bands like Periphery and BT Bam, like that's how they they do all that stuff. You know, it's everyone is a factor of the band. They're all an important factor, even if at times one person contributes more or less than others, you know, you still need everyone to make the band. And exactly. Uh, you know, I, I always really liked that uh, mentality. Um, so it's interesting that you, you know, brought that up too. Yeah, totally. And I, I couldn't agree with you more. That's how I see it. And, and you know, it's it's funny that you know, it ends up being a factor in why a lot of bands lose members in the end, you know, because I'm sure oh, that, yeah. like, I can't speak for Dave, you know, but I could sense from what he said in the interview that he felt like, you know, like kind of my contributions to Slayer, you know, as much as, of course, fans respect him and fans think he's amazing and stuff. And he, he is where he is because he, he got to show off like his insane skills in that band and be a part of history that way. But I think for him, you know, it, it would mean a lot if, those guys had given him some writing credit on some of those classic records where his drum fills to me, like, you know, you go to like South of heaven, <laughs> I'm sorry, but yeah. you take out those, those drum fills and that's going to really affect the record like negatively, you know, <laughs> you put some Absolutely. guy who plays like basic, like, you know, <laughs> four on four on each time kind of fills instead of those <laughs> insanely creative fills. It's like, you know, that album goes down like 10 notches in my book. So so I think those, those those decisions, you know, like when I hear that, what you're saying about like Periphery and BT Bam and stuff, it's it's cool because I think that's that's a way where you keep people interested. And it doesn't mean that, you know, people only want to contribute music so they can make money because I think that's never ever how it starts, you know, especially in our genre of music. People are just excited and they want to play together and they want to write yeah. stuff. But in the long run, it does matter. Like finances do matter. And, 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 you know, if you don't feel like you're getting the respect you're owed, you know, or, or that you've earned by, by the input that, you know, you've, you've given the band or, or even like you said, just by being there, like a band can't tour without its members, right? If a band constantly has to like find new filling guys, like, you know, that's not going to last and that's going to cost them money and that's going to be a problem like here and there. So, so I think, you have to look at it from a general perspective. Sure, if, if one guy like, like for example, in solo work, you know, Peter and Bjorn were were very important when it came to the songwriting, especially like when I joined around the stabbing the drama era. I mean, Peter wrote a lot of the music. You mm -hmm. know, uh, Bjorn obviously his vocals are are very you know very much part of the solo work sound, and you know one could argue that yeah you could replace the drummer, but it's not that easy to replace Bjorn Street. And yeah, that that's true. You know, but at the same time. You know, we, we toured for that record for like two years, like nonstop. And that couldn't be done without, you know, having dedicated guys like Sven, like Ula, sure. like myself, you know, that wouldn't be that wouldn't be possible in the way it was done. And it would be a lot more tricky and a lot more costly if we weren't there. So in the end, it's like, what do you value? Right. <laughs> yeah. And yeah, exactly. I think it, it can definitely create, you know, some resentment if things aren't that way. And, you know, it's one of those things, too, where I guess you know, maybe I, I don't know if I've been in a situation long enough to really know like how I would feel long term, uh, depending on, you might have better insight on, on that. But like, you know, I think most importantly, like I, I guess after going through some of the not as good experiences, uh, that I've had, like, you know, it, it kind of makes me be at least aware of, 
what to ask or what to expect. And, and like, you know, for example, with like Whitechapel, uh, because I'm not technically a full-time member, I don't, I don't even know how they do that stuff. And naturally, like before I would join, I would want to, you know, kind of know more about that stuff. If, if they end up asking me like, if it goes in that direction and I come on full, full time, uh, then like, I would want to kind of know more about how that stuff is working. But for now, you know, I kind of know where I stand with them and like, I'm this hired gun kind of thing. And because of that, I, anything I contribute, like, you know, how I wrote random drum parts and just sent them to them. It's like, I don't expect, you know, uh, royalty split. Like, you know what I mean? It's kind of like, just I'm aware of like my position. So anything I do past just the hired job is, is on me and I'm okay with that. You know, right. like if, you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. I want to contribute, um, but I would never then be like, uh, well, hey, I contributed to that. So, like, what the hell? Like, why yeah. don't I get, you know, it's like I know where I stand with them. Like, I didn't have to uh, write random drums and send them to them. But like you said, just I was just excited to do it. <laughs> you exactly. Know? Um, so I think it's important to, like, just be aware of that yeah. stuff. And, totally. uh, you know, some things, you know, might be, uh, worth doing regardless of, you know, whether you're getting paid or not. But then I think if it's a long-term thing that you do indefinitely, it's, it's important, I think. And I wish I would have learned this a lot younger. So I think it's a good thing. I, I'm glad we're talking about it, but, yeah. um, you know, it's important to like ask about how the business side of things work and, and that sort of thing. You yeah, know? absolutely. I think you're right. I think especially, you know, you, you, you should never, you know, if any, if any, you know, young aspiring musicians are listening to this, I don't think you should ever come busting in the door, like asking for money for this and that, you know, you should definitely, especially if it's a project that's been around, you know, a band that's established itself, you know, you, you don't come in that way. But if over time you realize that, like, you know, like with Soilwork, we had that discussion at one point, that was many years after I was in the band where we were kind of like, do you know, do you guys want to keep splitting things this way or, or should we make it a little bit more about like, Hey, we're a band. We're all in this together, you know? And, and the change yeah. was made, you know, subsequently. And it wasn't an easy discussion to have because you can imagine that, you know, it's, it's never easy when you go up to somebody who's basically like, you know, built the band that you're in and you tell them like, Hey, I want more of your money. Cause that's what it comes down to. I want you to, <laughs> yeah. I want you to get a smaller split from now on so I can get some of that. So it's, you know, or us like in, in, in that case, it was like several people, you know, but, but it's kind of like at the same time, you know, like I said, like a band and like you said, a band can only exist if everybody's committed to it and a band can only keep, you know, stay relevant and keep doing what it does that way. So at, at some yeah. point you got to value what you have and, you know, I think I think bands like, you know, something like U2 comes to mind, which which has been the same four guys forever. They got to have yeah. a pretty good arrangement because if you if you leave somebody out, of course, you know, they're a band that regardless, like even if you had a bad cut, you'd probably still be a millionaire because they're that big. But, <laughs> That's true. <laughs> but you know what yeah. I mean? It's like it's like at some point you got to you got to have that discussion and you got to. You know, and people got to be honest about like, okay, look, you know, I, I, I feel like over the years I've contributed. And so, you know, it would be nice to, because to, in the end we all got to live, you know, it's like, there's I no know, way around yeah. that, right? <laughs> Dude, I know that's uh it's something that's been, uh, it's hard. It's been hard for me to come to terms with that throughout my twenties. Like I have, but it's, it's like, it's just kind of wild, I guess, because I don't know. I, I guess in my earlier twenties, I just didn't 
all I cared about was drums, dude. And that's really all I care about still. But it's like, I've had to be like, oh, shit. Uh, I got to survive now. I got to, like, you know, figure out how to make more money and so I can keep doing this. And, you know, so I don't know, man. It's, uh, yeah, I would imagine a gig like you two is probably like, <laughs> they probably make so much money, dude. God, I can't even imagine. But yeah, I think, uh, you know, one thing I will say uh, is I've always, you know, even though I'm not uh, a full-time, technically on paper anyway, with Whitechapel, at least not yet, uh, although like we kind of have like an unspoken thing where I know I'm like their dude and we just aren't making anything official until we kind of like get there. But uh, they kind of will go really out of their way to uh, do nice things for me. Um and that stuff, you know, I noticed that stuff big time. Like one time, uh, what we had two tours more or less back to back. And I was originally going to just go back to Tennessee where they live and be there for like two or three days before we all fly to Europe. And, uh, but I had started seeing this girl at the time and, uh, you know, they, they were all really stoked to go home for a few days at least and see their wives or girlfriends. And, uh, they like surprised me with, uh, a flight home. They were like, we, you've worked really hard on this tour. You've done a good job. And, you know, so when we get back to Tennessee, you can fly home and, uh, then fly back like two days later and then we'll go to Europe. And, uh, we just want you to have some time at home if you want it. And we all really want that. So we're happy to share that. And like that kind of thing, I was just like, man, that was very considerate of them. Yeah. And, that's awesome. Um, yeah, dude. So I think, uh, anyway, I know that was a random tangent, but it's like, finding people that are are good people is is important monumentally and paying attention to like you know obviously i have no idea what will happen if we end up having some discussion about me becoming full-time and what that would mean with everything else but it's a good sign that you know they they are so thoughtful and considerate to me even now when i'm not a full-time technically guy and uh you know so i think it's just important to keep all that stuff in mind for like younger people and as much as like I, all I care about is <laughs> the actual drumming itself. <laughs> I wish I wish I would have ye- like learned when I was a little bit younger to pay more attention. But at the same time, I say that I don't I don't know if I would change anything about anything I did, you know, because it's all led me here. But anyway, exactly. now I'm just ranting. So <laughs> stuff, no, 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 totally, man. I, I hear you. I mean, I'm the same. You know, I think for me, you know, I, you know, you're 29. You said you turned 29. Happy birthday, by the way. <laughs> Oh, thank you. Thank you, dude. You know, I was I was 30 when, when I started with soil work, you know, and, and before then I was kind of like had my head in the sand when it came to finances, you know, like I, I, I did what I had to do, but I lived in a small apartment, you know, I didn't really spend much money. So there was never really any deep thoughts about like, what's my future going to be? And, and so when I went on my first tour with soil work, just as a session drummer, you know, like, let's see how this tour goes. And at the end, they handed me some money from the tour. I was like, Oh, you can make money on tour, you know? <laughs> Dude, right? I still remember the first time I ever got paid for, uh, you know, I think... Dude, it wasn't even. I think Michael Keane, when I was playing in the Faceless, like gave me like three hundred dollars cash after we did some festival. I had, oh yeah, the first shows I ever did with them, they were in Mexico, and I was like, I was like, wait, what? Like, <laughs> I I was like so taken aback. I was just like. I, uh, money, like I, I got the drum though. Like, why am I being, yeah. what is this stuff you're handing me? So 
dude, that's it's a weird thing, man. And I I think that that's like a good sign, though. I guess in that you know I I think it it's par- probably part of the reason why you, after all these years, are still doing what you're doing because like you didn't go into it for the other reason. You didn't even think about it initially. You went into it because drums and yeah, um, yeah. I I always think like I feel like. Uh, one of the reasons I've always like enjoyed your work so much is not only you can tell like in your playing how passionate you are about it. Um, but like, I don't know, man, just like if you've been doing something for as long as you've been doing it, like it's clearly not, uh, just for the money and, and (laughs) to kind of bring it full circle, like, uh, when you were saying at the, when we were first talking, I meant to say this earlier too, like when people say like, oh, you're so deserving of the Megadeth gig and you're kind of like, oh, I don't, uh, I don't know. I don't always feel that way. Not that you don't feel it, but you just don't think about it like that. Right. Um, I, I kind of relate to that too. And um, I don't know. I just thought that that was really interesting because like it kind of just reaffirms that like, you know, you're just doing this for the right reasons. It's like, even if you didn't get that huge gig, you'd still be doing drums because it's what you love to do. And I've always appreciated that about you. Like you can tell it about you and it's been inspiring for me, man. Um, for sure. Like Thanks, I always man. really appreciated. Yeah. Thank like, you. Yeah. It's like, it's a passion, you know, I, 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 you know, I have these, I'm sure you have some students too that ask you about these things. And, you know, I have students that will ask me like, what do I have to do to be successful and stuff? Or, you know, or just people that work really hard at like, you know, learning everything. And I'm always like, look in the end, you know, if you're passionate about this, you'll make it somehow. Like, don't worry too much about how and when, and you know, you'll figure it out because that's how my path was, and I'm sure that's how your path was. Like, you're so passionate about it that you make it work, and even if it means that you have some lean years, you know, or you don't really have anything, and you can't really, you know, spend anything or whatever, whatever the classic traditional, you know, you know, getting married, having kids, getting a house, whatever, all that stuff, you know, it's like, if if music is your passion, like you'll, you'll, you'll follow that passion and it'll take you to where you need to be. You know, like I wouldn't expect to, you know, live in a house in LA with my wife, you know, that just kind of happened along the way, but it all happened in part because I was on tour, you know, I met her on tour. She was working for the label at the time and and that's that's how I ended up here. So it wasn't even because people might think, oh, of course you live in L.A., but it's kind of like I only live in L.A. because I met my wife here, and this is like her favorite place to be. So, of course, I joined yeah. her, you know. <laughs> it wasn't even with yeah, anything, anything yeah. business-wise that didn't have anything to do with it. Oh, it's nice to be here, and, you know, Thomas down the street and a bunch of labels, and there's always shows and musicians here, so it's cool. But, you know, that wasn't even my motivation. So it's like, you know, what I was saying is, yeah, you, you basically just make it work because, you know, you can't live without that passion. It's so strong. It's like even now, you know, like I'll listen to music and get so excited about it or I'll, I'll yeah. work on a part or, or a song or, you know, just get behind my drums and just feel good. And that's really what it's about, you know? <laughs> Dude, hell yeah. And that's the other, this is totally off topic, but it just made me think of that, that when you said like you still get excited about stuff because, <laughs> dude, I remember like seeing like I was always into a lot of different types of metal and shit. And like, I remember seeing a picture of you, like dude, so long ago, you were sitting behind this, like, I want to say it was like a star classic performer, like a five piece kind of setup, like a normal setup, like what you've normally had, but you're behind it, like doing metal horns and you're wearing a Nile shirt. And I was like, <laughs> I was super into Nile at that point too. Uh-huh. Also, whenever I say I'm super into Nile, it sounds like I'm saying I'm super in denial, but, um, <laughs> 
but yeah, like the band Nile, I was already very obsessed with at that time. And I remember seeing you wearing that shirt, also being a fan of soil work and being like, yo, that's fucking sick that he likes Nile. Yeah, Hell yeah. Oh man. Yeah. Oh, we, man, I, 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 you know, it's funny because, um, one of the tours we did with Scarf, one of the few tours we got to do was uh, opening for Nile in Europe. This was back in 2002. So Tony Laureano was drumming with them at the time. Oh, and sick. I don't think I missed a gig, man. I think I watched Every single show on that tour was like three weeks long. <laughs> Actually, I did miss one because our bus broke down, like the bus with the support <laughs> bands broke down and we had to like miss a gig. But other than that, oh, damn. I was there like watching all the time and Tony was just so insane. You know, I just couldn't fathom how he could play those songs and play at that speed. And he had like the saw blades on his drums, you know, that he used as like accent. Oh, yeah, I remember that. Yeah, yeah, I remember that. Yeah, that was like, you know, a unique thing he had. And, and we kind of talked and became friends throughout the tour. And then, you know, all these years later, here he is like drum taking for me and Megadeth, which felt so weird. You know, in the beginning, I had to go up to him and be like, dude, I know you're like my drum taking stuff, but I'm a huge fan of yours and you're my <laughs> friend. And, you know, I don't look down on you like in the least, like I'm rather on the opposite of that. You know, I look up to yeah, you. So yeah. he was like, it's all good, man. I, I love taking, like, it's something I really like doing. It's all good. Don't feel bad. I, I felt awkward. I was like, wait, he should be there and I should be taking, you know, <laughs> <laughs> dude. I, yeah, man, I, I feel that I, uh, Dude, that's so funny. I, I didn't realize he was like still your tech. I knew that he did drum techie and I didn't know he was teching for you. So that's fucking badass. Yeah, he's he's not like anymore now. Yeah, he's not anymore now, but he, he was for the, the better part of me being in the band. So yeah. <laughs> Damn, that's awesome, dude. Yeah. yeah, I would be like, I remember, I, I, I think I even like, oh yeah, when I, uh, I did Australia with the Faceless and we were supporting Nile. And I remember thinking like, you know, I because I had met George a long time before that. I took a lesson with him when I was like fifteen outside of Jack's nightclub in Virginia. And nice, uh, yeah. And uh, he was just like, I, I remember thinking like, oh, I'm not gonna like get too giddy. I'm I'm a little older now. You know, I was like twenty two or some shit. And like, <laughs> he he like got in the van and just immediately started talking to me. And dude, I like lost it in my head. I was like, oh my God, dude, it's George calling us. <laughs> like I got so excited, man. And, uh, yeah, dude, like I could, and he, he, he remembered me. That was the thing I couldn't believe the most. He was like, oh, I remember you in Jack's, you know, Springfield, uh, you had the green pearl session kit and all this <laughs> shit. And I like, I was blown away by it. Like, that's so cool. Uh, dude. Yeah. I, but yeah, it's it's like kind of tight to hear you, you know, s that you still get like giddy and excited about that shit. Like, oh, totally, I man. don't know, as so as someone that's like real intense about drums and like kind of over the top, it just it's nice to hear that you haven't lost some of that passion, you know? <laughs> oh, not at all. I mean, that, that to be honest, man, I got to tell you, that's what keeps me going. You know, I'm sure it's the same for you. Yeah. It's like my, my excitement, because I, I say this, you know, like I've said this to people before, like I'm really into drums, but I'm even more into music, you know? And, and by the way, I want to, I didn't, get to comment on that earlier but when you mentioned electronic music that you make i really want to check that out because i'm huge into oh, i'm huge into electronic music too you know i kind of grew up in you know listening to the radio a lot and and you know pop and rock and all that stuff but i was also growing up in in the time like the 80s when techno was really big you know like there was a lot of techno music around and Hell yeah. i had like cousins who you know would go to discotheques in belgium and stuff and and would bring back like tapes of stuff they played there and i'd be into all that stuff so so fast forward to now like i'm huge into things like Aphex twin and autecker and square pusher you know just really weird electronic music all the stuff Dude, yeah. that like justin broderick does and mick harris 
you know, former Napalm Dust drummer with Scorn and all that and yeah. Fret and all those. I like like weird stuff, you know, mostly. But but anyways, you know, it's it's just music, you know, that I love. It like a lot of electronic stuff doesn't even have real drums in it, and I'm still like finding tons of inspiration in there. And, and for oh, me, me it's like stuff keeps you going, you know, and you just hear stuff that blows your mind and excites you and just kind of makes you want to listen more and makes you want to listen again. That's where you know that energy flows where you're like, now I want to create something too, you know? And so I'll be listening to like some, I don't know, some Aphex twin track and then go sit down and write like a Ben C grindcore tune. And if I told people like, yeah, that was influenced by Aphex twin, they'd be like, what? Because it doesn't sound anything like it, but yet that's how it happened. You know, <laughs> dude, I absolutely, man. And on that point, like, dude, people will ask me about like, obviously I get like inspired by drummers and, and music stuff, but I also will sometimes like, I don't know, man, like I see if I just see someone that's like really passionate about something, it like makes me stoked to go do my thing, you know, and I like uh, one thing that has given me a lot of and it's so weird, but it's given me a lot of motivation in recent years is I got really into uh, professional basketball and like I will watch some of those guys and like they're so athletic and the work that goes into like what they do. I'm like, dude, like that's so sick. And it like makes me stoked and and it like translates to drums. So it's like, you know, something I feel like people wouldn't often expect, but like, uh, it's, you don't always get inspired by like the stuff that it sounds like what you're making, you know, it can sometimes be like different music or something different entirely. And it like makes you stoked. And yeah, I don't know. That's interesting, man. I, uh, but dude, I love the electronic stuff. Like, have you heard of the artist mega drive? I've heard the name, haven't heard the music yet. I'll uh, I'll send you a track, and I'll totally send you uh, a couple of my tracks. I again, I have no idea if they're any good, but it's just a lot of fun to do. And uh, love to hear it, man. Thank you. Uh, yeah, man, I absolutely will. And uh, I'll send you a Mega Drive Mega Drive track to check out too. He's uh he's the guy that I I kind of got to know, and he uh, I I send him some of the stuff I write, and he. Uh, gives me critique sometimes kind of brutally and <laughs> but i kind of <laughs> like it you know yeah um because i'm i i like that he's kind of blunt <laughs> uh, you need um, that sometimes <laughs> yeah and plus like at the end of the day i'm trying to get better at it and i'd love to do more of it but it is just for fun so i'm kind of just like interested to get like someone that does it more seriously like get their real input you know right right um but yeah, that's I I didn't really realize you were that into the electronic stuff, so that's badass, you know. Oh, totally, man. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's it's yeah. There's so much there, you know, and and I love the fact that some of the those artists really push, um, even how music is made, you know, like yeah, like Square Pusher, like he builds his own instruments basically, or you know, hardware that he uses for his music, and then or I don't know if you know them, that British duo, you know, who are kind of like have been pretty at the forefront of like new experimental like electronic music. But what are they I'm, called? Autaker, it's like A-U-T. Man, that sounds familiar, but yeah. I don't think. We'll if have to like into exchange it? some electronic. Yeah, yeah. I'll send something. you some stuff. But they, man, their catalog is fucking insane because like, for example, like a couple of years ago, they released like four albums, eight, hour, eight hours worth of music like at once, you know, like that's the kind of stuff they do. And recently, like... What they've been doing is they basically, from my understanding, and I might get this wrong because I'm not sure if I'm 100% <laughs> correct about it, but I believe what they've done is they've built it, their own like hardware and software and their own algorithms. And what they Damn. do is they, they basically feed it 
sounds and samples and whatever you know processes i guess and then that thing spits out like music and then they just edit that together to to make their thing you know and it's like it sounds completely unlike anything else they totally have their own recognizable sound not all of it is very easy to listen to like some of it's kind of taxing sometimes you know like if you're you know you got to be in the right mood but but it's just unique you know like i know of nobody else who does this and they're completely at the forefront of like using computers in a different way to to make music and to me that kind of stuff is so like exciting and and interesting and you know and it pushes me to be like you know when when Ben C started out I was kind of like just trying to do something and see where it would take me and it ended up being pretty much a tribute to you know the grindcore and stuff I used to grow up listening to and you know and now over time it's like it's motivated me with looking at people like that to really push the boundaries and try to bring in different elements and just make it original, you know, and make it like my own thing rather than, Oh, here's me doing grindcore. You know what I mean? So dude, absolutely. I've, I hear you on that for sure. I've always like, uh, yeah, I just, I don't even know what to say. because you said it so well, but <laughs> I, I relate to that very much and trying to like, I don't know, do something outside of the box with drums and, and being inspired to do that from other people, seeing other people, whether it's drums or not. Like, right. Yeah, man. And I, this popped into my head just now too. Uh, and I don't want to forget it, but, uh, one, one album, because it's, it had these like electronic elements, but when you play, you played on that Cybreed album, uh, Antares or Antares, yeah. I think. Yeah. And dude, I remember I got really into that way back because I, I liked that it had these like weird electronic elements kind of like involved in the songs. And uh, dude, that album's sick, man. <laughs> Thanks, man. Yeah, yeah that man. was that was challenging to to learn and record because it was actually just that happened like that recording happened not too long after I officially moved to the U.S. here and. Um, And, you know, in Europe, I always had like a rehearsal space with a drum kit and stuff. But when I moved here to L.A., you know, my 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 soon to be wife just lived in a townhouse. So I didn't really have, you know, and I didn't have drums here either. So it's kind of like one of those things where it's like, well, I have the session job. I'm just going to have to figure it out. So I managed to get like a hold of an old Roland e-kit, you know, which was my first time owning an electronic kit and just kind of set it up in our small little living room. I wasn't really super prepared going into that. So, you know, much credit to Drop from Cybreed for being super patient with me in the studio and just, you know, allowing me the time to do a bunch of takes on those tracks. But, yeah. you know, he's such a he's such an amazing composer. We're still in touch, actually. And he's also a guy who makes a lot of electronic music, by the way, because, you know, those those influences know, yeah. you hear, you know, he, he expresses that in other forms as well. And so him and I have actually been talking for a long time about we should do something electronic together. It's just never... You know, I'm usually too busy to get around to it, but, but, uh, but yeah, man, I mean, that was, that was, that actually, that album really, you know, a lot of people enjoy that record. I've gotten a lot of great comments about that over the years and, you know, and, um, and we actually did a song together recently for his new project, uh, Obsidian's. Which uh, Bjorn sings on the track. I did the drums for it, and it's pretty much you know the similar style to to Antares, So, <laughs> damn, I I'll uh, I'll remind you in an in email, but I'd love to check that out because yeah. Uh, and dude, I I was gonna say I haven't talked to him in like goddamn nearly ten years now, but like uh, he was Cybreed was on the first tour I ever did, which oh. was in Europe. Wow. Um, <laughs> yeah, and uh, it was my first time to Europe. It was my first time on tour. I. I was 18 and I turned 19 on it. And, Man, uh, that's amazing. I, 
yeah and kevin was playing drums yep. and uh uh yeah dude and and drop we were all on a bus together too um nice. that was my first tour ever i thought i was i was living the dream dude being on a bus <laughs> for my first tour ever even if it was three bands on a european bus i was i was like oh my god this is so cool <laughs> um yeah man like uh, but I had a really, really, really great time on that tour. Almost nothing but fond memories aside from when, like, practically everyone on the bus got food poisoning, and <laughs> uh, which in hindsight is just funny. And uh, so tell, tell him I said hello. I don't even know if he'll remember me, um, but I was the little kid on that tour that played drums for Threat Signal. Nice. Um, I will, man, for yeah. sure. I'm sure he'll remember. <laughs> yeah, he, he got really drunk one night, and him and uh, Kevin, like, I was trying to sleep and they kept coming into my bunk and like, uh, like throwing balloons on me and weird <laughs> shit. Like he was a lot of fun, dude. He was funny as shit. That's um, so awesome. Yeah, oh, dude. Man. And speaking of, uh, people that say hello, I, I talked to, I was talking to a noob earlier this afternoon and he told me to tell you to, uh, I told him I was going to chat with you and he says, hi. Oh man. That's so cool. A noob rules, man. I love that guy. Dude, I know. <laughs> I know, man. That's so funny to me too, dude. Just cause like, it's just funny how small, like, the world is because dude i've known a noob since uh like before i played drums really yeah i wow. met him in middle school like right before i started playing drums and uh you know so it's it's that's been really exciting to me too is having like a friend around that i've kind of grown up with that's also doing this uh career pathway you know yeah that's really um, cool man he's he's a super creative dude too man he like writes his own music and you know that's oh uh, dude that guitar shit he does and like programming guitar, I love it. Yeah, I love it especially because it's kind of like, it's like you know, as drummers, you you get these guitarists at times that'll program really outrageous drums, and you're like, oh man, now I have to figure out how I'm gonna play this. Like, <laughs> totally. And I love that a noob's just like, yeah, well, fuck you too. I'm just gonna program all these crazy guitars. You know, <laughs> I don't know. I just think it's so funny, dude. It's amazing, but yeah, man, he's he's great. Uh, it was really cool being on tour with him with uh, when when uh, he was playing with uh, Jeff Loomis, who opened for Soil Work on this really long grueling u.s tour we did which was like i Dude, kid you I not remember yeah like i think two we, months yeah it was like two months it was like 52 shows in 54 days or something crazy like that and the last Dude, two weeks of that tour we were my god yeah we were just all so burned out by the end of that tour and then on top of that which, which was crazy was that anoop had asked me because i think he had a tour with his other band uh that already was booked prior so he couldn't do the very end of that tour so i actually oh yeah you played with jeff i played with jeff for the last 10 shows or whatever and 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 i didn't have time really to learn any of the material before the tour so i was <laughs> sitting there on the tour you know trying to uh, learn the stuff on my pad and then just kind of try and try and play the shit you know as 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 we were going and it was brutal man like i like tours that are like up to 4 weeks long and usually anything beyond that you know, your brain just starts to get fried and you just starts to like not know where you are and why the hell you're doing what you're doing. That's my experience. I know, dude. Yeah. <laughs> it's funny to hear you say that too. Cause there is like, there's like this fine line of like loving touring, but then like at a, at a point, if you're out too long, you start to like think about stuff that you shouldn't be yeah, thinking about, you know, exactly. <laughs> you start to go into this, like, what am I even doing with my life? Like I start to go all like existential and stuff. And then I get home and I get like some sleep and a different routine. And I'm like, Oh wait, no, I'm stoked. Everything's fine. Exactly. Um, yeah. Yeah, man. So that's kind of funny. But yeah. yeah, I remember when a did that, I was like, dude, that 
that's literally insane. Like that tour was like, I don't know who booked that, but it was way long. Oh, I remember very well. You know, it's just, he was, he was in the news a lot recently. Well, in the metal news, that leaves was Finberg, you know, cause he was, he was our booking agent with Solark for a long time. And, and uh, he I'm would pretty sure these... he booked threat signal when I was with them. Yeah. Well. Yeah. Yeah. And not, not my favorite person, but I'll leave it at that. But, uh, you know, uh, <laughs> I do recall some of that. We oh don't have gosh. to go into detail. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. I'm, 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 I'm pretty stoked that he got outed recently. I'll, I'll leave it at that. But, um, yeah. you know, it, it was one of the good things with the long tours, especially for bands of the level of like Threat Signal and Soul Work and stuff, is that in those last few weeks is really where, you know, you start, you know, making some financial gains because at that point the bus is paid off, you know, the driver's yeah. paid off. Like, so anything you do in those last couple of weeks on an eight week run is pretty much like, you know, where you pay your bills with that. So, so I Absolutely. see the good side of it. But yeah, man, the mental part of it, like you said, it's taxing. And that's also something people don't realize is that as cool as it is to be on stage and, and to do all that stuff, you know, the, the, the traveling and the grueling, like just lifestyle that goes behind it for most bands, you know, it's tough, man. It's, it's not easy. It's like, of course, the first time you go, like you said, your first trip to Europe, I mean, I remember my first couple of tours, you know, you're super excited and you're partying and everything's great. But once you've done it, like, you know, a bunch of times, you realize that like, okay, you know, you want to be a bit more serious about it. Like I completely stopped partying at one point. I, I haven't, you know, had alcohol in like, I don't know, 15 years. Cause I was just yeah, like, okay, I, I can't deal with the hangovers anymore. I'm too old and I got to get serious about this. So, and then hey, things, respect. I don't, I don't drink either. So that's interesting. Yeah, exactly. So it is like, you know, things change, you know, and, and you really become aware of how much time you spend away from home, how much time you sit in planes and buses and stuff just to be that one hour or one hour and a half on stage. And, and it becomes, you know, like you got to find some sort of balance with it. You know, I, I'll never complain about it in the sense that like, I'm super grateful, like, as I know you are to be able to do it at all. But at the same time, it's, it's, it's a tough thing, man. There's no weekends. There's no, you know, you just, you just go, you know, for as long as you need to go. And yeah. then when you come back, sometimes you have like, like you said, the one time you have three days to kind of recuperate and boom, you I go know. off on another one. It's, it's brutal, man. <laughs> I know it's like, I'm trying to prepare myself for the possibility that like after COVID, like it's like, I so wish I could have done some of the tours we were supposed to do this year. And, uh, you know, I, it's like at times I'm like, God, I can't wait till like we can go out and play some shows and stuff. But then I, I, I'm also trying to enjoy some of the downtime because I do think that once things start up again, it might be like a lot, you know? And yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I'm trying to prepare for the possibility of like being out on tour a whole lot right in the time that follows, like, uh, you know, whenever this all ends. For um, sure. Yeah. So, but me, me too, man. You know, hopefully, I, yeah, like, hopefully, I will have had such a long break, though, that it will just be exciting because <laughs> I definitely, I miss it, man. This is a lot, like, the longest I've gone without playing a show. Oh, dude, as definitely. As long as I can remember, really. So. definitely same here man i was very happy to be home at you know this summer because i was like man i can't remember the last time i was actually home for an entire summer you know even on the, on the slowest yeah. summers i still had some trips to europe to go play some festivals and and so this was really nice to just be like man i don't have to go anywhere this is awesome you know but at the same time yeah now it's like it's itching to kind of go on stage and play and and like you said i think it's gonna be everybody's gonna be out touring all at once it's gonna be insane so <laughs> Yeah, it should be interesting, dude. Yeah, yeah, for um, sure. But anyway, dude, I know like uh, we've been chatting for a while, and I I know you have other stuff to do. Probably, uh, 
so I won't hold you for too much longer. I've just really been enjoying this. It's been really nice to chat with you. Um, yeah, likewise, man. It's like, been super fun. Yeah, and hopefully, hopefully, yeah. some interesting stuff for people who are listening. <laughs> yeah, I, I think uh, it seems like you know I haven't done a podcast for very long, and I honestly don't even know what I'm doing. I just I like to rant and talk about stuff, so I figured I would try it. And uh, it seems like the people that have listened to it thus far are like. Uh, they really seem to enjoy like this kind of thing, just random talking. So I think it'll do well. And I appreciate you being down. I mean, even if we hadn't done the podcast, I'm just very uh, thankful to have gotten to chat with you. And um, yeah, man, I don't know. Yeah, there's there's definitely more things that I can't even remember that I wanted to ask. But uh, <laughs> I, maybe we'll do it again sometime or I'll just text you and be like, dude, yeah. you know. Um, totally, man. Likewise, yeah, man. I want to ask you something actually before we wrap this up because yeah. I, I went on your website and uh, I, I I have to say I was really impressed by the list of snare drums. <laughs> oh, dude, I have so many snares. <laughs> I mean, it's I've like seen, an addiction. Yeah, I, I've seen your Instagram post and stuff about dude. them too here and there, but I just it's funny because the reason I wanted to ask you about that is because you know, of course, I, I know you know you're not the only drummer I know who's like really passionate about snare drums and gear in general. For me, it's funny because I've always kind of been. Um, I don't know if utilitarian is the right word, maybe not, but I'm I'm very much like just put, you know, some drum kit in front of me that I can play on and I'm happy. Like I'm very, you know, I love my gear, don't get me wrong. You're, you're Tom, a guy like me, mine, you know, like yeah. it's the best stuff in the world. But at the same time, I'm kind of like, I'm, I'm, I think I own maybe three snare drums, I think, and I'm not sure what they are. I mean, I have my <laughs> signature model, but, you know, and there's one one other one, but then there's another one I have that I don't even know what model it is. So I'm kind of like, I'm not, I'm kind of detached from that stuff in a way, you know, like as long as it's functional for yeah. me, it's, it's fine. And so, yeah, I just wanted to ask you where your, where your passion and your collection of snare drums, like how that came to be. <laughs> yeah, dude, I think, uh. It's actually, it's so funny that you're asking me that. I, I don't know why, but yeah, like I think a lot, a lot of it came from, uh, recording. Like I, when I got more into recording myself and hearing how different drums translated, it, it made me want to try more stuff out and, and like becoming more or less familiar with, uh, the way different woods or different metals sound. And, uh, and then it just became like an addiction altogether where like, you know, a couple, I have a couple snares that were like, kind of like good, uh, good finds where I, I would often like, if I had a couple hundred bucks to spare, I would look on Craigslist or something and see if there was one that I could manage to talk some dude down in price. And, uh, one, one drum that I actually really have that, uh, or I really love that I, I have that I don't, I don't use it in videos really because it's, uh, it's a pearl drum. But uh, it's one of the old Virgil Donati signatures, which was like uh, a combination of uh, maple and birch, and it's a shallow, like 14 by 5. And, nice. Um, dude, it's such a sick snare. <laughs> uh, and I got it for like 200 bucks. Like, wow. And I think, I think when that thing like was new, it was like probably over five, I would think. Like, right. it, it had to have been a pretty pricey drum. Uh, right. And now, especially, like he's not even with Pearl anymore, so... I don't know. Um, but anyway, like I would, you know, kind of like start scouting for deals like that and, uh, you know, just pick something new up just to try it, you know? And, right. uh, then it turned into like, okay, well, if I'm going to have a bunch of snares, I got to have like a couple Holy Grail kind of snares too. Like right. I got to get up Tama reissue bell brass and, nice. you know, nice. uh, so yeah, I think it definitely just came from like, 
recording and just being interested and wanting to try different stuff out. Like, I love that process. Like, that's one thing, like, with doing the whole drum video thing, and I'll try to keep this... I, I can rant for days, so I'll try <laughs> to keep it short. Um, but I always really loved uh, the actual capturing of the sound. Like, I've never... Like, when I see guys that, like record a drum video and you see like a cymbal hit that doesn't match what you're hearing or something and i'm like man did he like record the audio at a different time than the video like this is lame or right. you know like that always bummed me out like for me like the fun of it is like capturing the audio and and trying something new and getting a different drum sound or whatever so right. yeah that's really where the the intense intense passion of wanting to just try different drums came from but uh I thankfully I've slowed down on acquiring them because I have quite a lot already. <laughs> so um, it's cool, man. Yeah, I'm, I'm, that, that's cool. I mean, I'm super interested in hearing that because you know I, I sometimes I feel like maybe I don't pay attention enough, you know, because I see a lot of people like you know are more along the lines of where what you just said, you know, and and I'm like, am I just like not paying attention enough to how I sound and what I should be using and stuff? And and you mean like everybody, like for example, we did the Make This album earlier this year. I used like some different snare drums because they were there and there, we used like a Keplinger on some songs because you know the studio we were at a whole bunch of them and and you know the, the producer was like you should try this one I'm like oh yeah this sounds killer let's use it you know but I'm kind of like at the same time I feel like kind of like you know any snare drum sounds killer to me pretty much you know or it really would have to yeah. be a dud right so <laughs> like broken or something or I don't know so it's yeah. like I'm kind of like yeah I can I can make anything fit you know I've never really you know committed to like having a whole bunch of them i i love trying different snares and hearing them and uh by the way like when you use like superior drummer it's fun to have those drop down menus where you have like all those you know like the black beauties and all the classic yeah. stuff. it's so much fun to just click a mouse and then oh that's what that one sounds like you know but uh but no it's interesting to me man because i record myself a lot too but uh mostly you know electronic here on at home you know and when i do acoustic sessions yeah i always work with adair dolfenbach who's my good friend and producer here in, in la and we have a little studio together and he's usually the guy in charge of like capturing my sound and, and making those choices with me you know so i'm kind of like what do you think is this work and if he says yeah then i'm like okay cool you know never really dove into the whole like mic positioning and all that stuff and i have a lot of respect for you and you know, anybody who's an, who's a musician, but also, you know, digs into that side of it, because I think it's quite complex. And it's and people don't realize the the amount of, you know, thinking and, and experimenting and stuff that goes into something like that. Dude, yeah, I that's I, I think that whole, like the science of, of drum recording, like, I love that. I think I, at this point, I would say I'm almost as interested or passionate about that as as drums themselves maybe not quite but like i really enjoy that process and right. uh yeah man but at the same time like i don't know i do kind of think there's something to also like just you know having a couple things that work good for you and sticking to them because like at the end of the day you know you can have all the drums in the world but like the sound is is more going to come from the hands and uh, how the drummer plays and uh, nothing will ever top that, you know? And, and there are so many variables when it comes to drums that like, you know, sometimes I almost feel bad to like post online when I have like a picture of like all this gear I have. Cause it's like, I don't, 
and I've talked about this before pretty openly, but I don't want to like make kids think that like the only way to be a successful drummer is to like have a ton of gear, right. you know, cause you don't need to have that. But right. I just like snares a lot. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I, I hear you, man. That's a great point. I mean, I'm curious what you started out on. I started out on like, you know, my, my, I was basically drumming with wooden rulers on crates and, and, and like big Tupperware boxes that you put toys in. And then my dad got me like the secondhand Max Tone kit, which didn't even have like Rezo heads. And it was just a oh, really yeah. old <laughs> crappy kit. And I played on that for years, you know, and that's where my drumming came from. So definitely there's a point to, to that it comes from the hands because in the end of the day, if you're a good musician, you know, and this goes for, I think, guitarists and stuff too, you can pick up the shittiest instrument and still make magic with it, right? Absolutely. I, I think that's like the most of, uh, and that's, it's actually something like, you know, when, when drummers talk about feel, they often think about timing specifically. And obviously that's a huge part of it. But I also think uh, equally as big a part of feel is like dynamics and how the drummer actually makes contact with the drum and uh you know that's something like anoop used to say like the way i hit it just sounds like it's like already compressed or something and yeah. and, I, and i'm always kind of like well i don't even know what i'm doing but like <laughs> uh thanks you know like and i think at the end of the day i i think that it's like that there are so many variables with recording drums that like yeah it's it's definitely like a uh a luxury to be able to try different snares out. But it's like, if the drummer's not killing it, then it's, you know, not going to matter, you know? Um, right. So yeah, it's kind of one of those things that I just do. Cause it's like, uh, I continually, I continually try new drums cause I just enjoy it. But right. you know, it definitely, you know, I don't know, man, like you can tell your drumming regardless of what snare you play on, you know? And, <laughs> Thanks. Uh, so like, I think you're doing just fine Thank <laughs> with, you. with the amount of snares you have. <laughs> no, I mean, yeah, it's, it's just funny, also, man. Also like it's... that. Sorry, go ahead. No, 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 you go ahead. Uh, I was just going to rant about yeah. something. <laughs> no, it's just funny because, you know, I, 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 um, I'm just always interested in, 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 in those differences, you know, and how people, you know, have different ways of, in the end, you know, doing what they want to do. And, and, and it's definitely not about, oh, this is the right way to do it because I never feel like I know what I'm doing. I just feel like actually I turn that part of me off, you know, as much as I can when I go and do something because if I overthink it, then I'm going to just start doubting myself. And, and that's the thing over the years that I've learned is like to really just – you know, I think you can relate to this when you when you go in and and you have to play a show or do a recording or whatever to just enjoy the process for what it is and to not overthink too much about should I play this or was that good enough or blah, blah, blah. Because at the end of the day, you know, you take some distance from that and some time and you look back at it and it's all cool, you know, and and even some of the stuff where I came out of it feeling like, man, I sucked on this like this was bad, you know, it ends up not being that bad, you know, so it's 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 like. I think, you know, you tend to overanalyze stuff when you're in the middle of it. I think that's a natural tendency for for pretty much anybody, you know, and, and or at least a lot of people, you know, maybe not everybody, but, you know, so for me, it's like the, the older I get, the more it's just about having fun because that's why I started doing this in the first place. I remember playing as a teenager, you know, just releasing my teenage angst on the kid and playing along to, <laughs> right? you know, yeah. obituary or terrorizer or whatever, you know, just stuff I Hell loved, yeah. Slayer, you know, and just, just banging away, you know, after I came home from school and had a shitty day at school or whatever. And it's just like, 
that's kind of what I want to get back to, you know, because like when I listen to somebody like, you know, to, to mention Dave Lombardo again is like, you know, one of my big inspirations over the years, yeah. regardless if it's, you know, with John Zorn or Slayer or Mr. Bungle or whatever, suicidal, you know, it's like you can just feel that it's him, you know. And that's kind of what inspires me is the feeling rather than the, the notes or exactly what he's playing or, or what drum kit he's playing it on. And, and all those things Absolutely, are, man. you know, all those things are fun and they, and they, you know, you can get lost in them and you can really enjoy them. But at the end of the day, for me, music is about, you know, it's about feelings and about what you translate. And so I've really tried to dial down my own, you know, I think we all have some anxieties when it comes to performing and you know, like expectations are there, you try to meet them and then you, you know, there's all these variables that come in and, and I just try to just let go of all that as much as I can and just be me and just, you know, I always tell myself, look, I'm here for a reason, you know, and so I'm just going to be me and do what I do. And, and, and if I need to adjust something or something doesn't work, I'll figure it out. Dude, I, yeah, couldn't say it better myself, man. And it's <laughs> honestly taken me I still struggle with it sometimes because, dude, I'm like, I mean, I've talked about this online and I did, uh, when I did Drumeo, I did mental health really like as my kind of topic, but like, dude, I'm a pretty anxious person. It's like a miracle. I'm a live performer. And I, I really attribute that to like my passion for drums must be really intense to outweigh my tremendous anxiety, you know? <laughs> and, yeah. uh, it's taken me a long time or it took me a long time, I guess, to like, realize like how important it is to like you know genuinely enjoy the process of what you're doing you know even if it is just like grind in a way like preparing material for something or getting ready for a tour it's like you have to enjoy all of it if you don't you know there's really no point in it and mm -hmm. uh trying not to overthink i still overthink plenty but like i'm so much better than i used to be you know and i and dude same man there have been times where i felt like i blew it in the studio or whatever, but then time goes by. And once you're separated from it a bit, um, and can re reflect on it objectively without the emotion, you realize it actually wasn't horrible, you know? And yeah. that's a hard thing, man. It's, it's hard to like, I've gotten better at it, but it, it was hard for me for a long time. The guys in good tiger really helped me improve that about myself. Um, kind of just like, they were very patient with me when we did our first album and I was like, I don't know, one of the producer who's also a good friend of those guys, Nolly, he'd be like, that was great. And I'd be like, no, it wasn't like, I need to do it again. And, <laughs> uh, they kind of like really helped me like learn that about myself and to lighten up a little bit. And yeah, anyway, yeah. now I'm just ranting too, but like, mm -hmm. I, uh, I, I relate to that very much. Like, I think it's just like, you have to enjoy, the process first and foremost and uh yeah 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 man i hear you and 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 i i totally you know i mean you're way younger than me i'm i'm you know i'm i'm uh when i was your age i think you're way more enlightened than 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 i was at your age you know when it comes to that stuff i think i was very much not you know able to really separate you know my self-criticism from my performances and stuff at that time so it took me like I think really touring a lot with soul work, you know, in my thirties really helped me kind of progressively get over it. And, and it's, it's not like you're ever completely over it because I still have my moments too. But, but I think just, you know, you start realizing that, you know, 
when you communicate good feelings and fun and enthusiasm through your music, people will feel that. Like, for example, I'll give you an example. Like the, recently, you know, the, the Cadaver album that I played on was released. Yeah. And um, we went into that really, like I was talking with Anders, the, the, you know, the other guy in the band who's like the founding member of Cadaver and stuff who I listened to when I was a kid. So it's, it's one of those great things you know, that I, I'm so thankful I get to be a part of. And, and I was talking with him and I'm like, I really want this to approach this in an old school way, you know, no click tracks, just jamming together. And, you know, him and especially Adair, the producer there uh, in the beginning, they're like, really, you don't want to use click tracks? It's going to be more hard to like move stuff around. And I'm like, I know, but, you know, death metal back in the day, like that was just raw energy. You know, it wasn't about yeah. precision. Like, you know, I, I, I play with clicks all the time and, you know, everybody does it and I use it all the time. But at the same time, I hate it because it sucks away your natural, you know, energy and so these days like i've gotten to a point where i try to not use them as often as i can you know if i can convince people to not use them i'll do it you know and uh and so but <laughs> as a result of that you get inconsistencies and, and you know fluctuation because that's just you know i'm not a perfect person you know and i'm not a perfect drummer and so there's tempo fluctuations and as anders you know from cadaver would jokingly say look, it's all good. I'll make it sound tight. I'll just, you know, make sure my guitar is super tight with your drums and you won't be able to notice. And it's pretty much true. But when I listen to that Cadaver album, you know, from, from a critical standpoint to the drums, I hear all kinds of shit in there that I'm like, oh God. But then I'm like, <laughs> well, that's what I was going for. You know, I wanted it to be old school, raw, death metal, not perfect, you know, like just this almost falling apart kind of feeling. And well, that comes this way, you know, that's not something that I did like with a bunch of different takes like putting me like doing the best I can in the moment with a really low tune snare way lower than I usually tune in and struggling to keep up the blast beats and it's like that's cool you know because that's Dude, exactly right. actually so hard on a super loose head <laughs> no no but it's, yeah it is it is and it's like it's one of those things where you know you kind of learn to let go of your preconceived notions of like that everything needs to be perfect i've talked about this before but i think as much as i admire perfection and it's something we all strive for in some way at the same time i think it's also way overrated artistically because i think a lot of what i've learned you know especially in the last four or five years i would say i've learned that like a lot of the magic happens when it's not perfect and when you know random shit happens and you leave it and you learn to live with it and you kind of embrace it and i think that's something that i'm still in the process of you know doing and getting better at and, and kind of integrating too, man. it kind of comes with i think with improvisation you know i've been listening to a lot of jazz recently and just kind of trying to embrace all that stuff but yeah anyway i don't know i'm just ranting too now but it's just for me it's an interesting topic because we have the technology nowadays to make everything super perfect and a lot of people do you know and and i have done it too you know it's it's happened in the past you know on, on recordings that i've done where i'm like gosh that was over edited and this and that but oh but dude yeah but at the same time, yeah. it's like, you know, that can have its place, but I also want to have a place for me just being me behind the drums with all the flaws that come with that. You know what I mean? Dude, totally. And it's funny, like, because I, I mean, to be honest, it's been like a considerable uh, source of anxiety for me at times. I've gotten better at dealing with it. But like, one thing I didn't really r realize is that I would like, when I was younger, I'd do like a bajillion takes of a song to get a drum video, right? Yeah. So then I would do like a bunch of takes, finally get one I can live with, put it up, you know, 20 videos later, there's like 20 videos of me playing all these songs perfect 
you know, online. It's like the best takes of everything. <laughs> and then I have to do it when I went to like start playing live more when I was younger, I was, I was like, Oh my God. And like, I realized I'd like almost set myself up for failure. Cause I like put all these videos up of me, like being perfect and, you know, without like any mistakes and stuff. And like, I was like, Oh my God, but like, that's not reality. Like people mess up sometimes. And, uh, and then it kind of like became a thing too, where that's everyone, you know, especially after I got the faceless gig where it was kind of like, and in truth, I do think I was like very on my game when I played in that band and I worked really hard to stay on my game. Cause that stuff was very demanding. But, yeah. No kidding. <laughs> oh dude. It was in hindsight. I don't even know entirely how I did it. Dude. I, <laughs> I, uh, I, it's so over the top, especially if you're like a singles player and I, you know, I've messed around with the death metal double stroke thing and I do it in one Whitechapel song, but I hate it because you have to use triggers and I don't right. like I, I use triggers, but like for for that band or for more metal stuff and that's fine. But I still to me, the death metal double stroke thing, it's like it's 100 percent in the trigger setting. It takes some coordination, but for the right. most part, it's in the trigger setting. And right. I've always been a singles guy, you know, like I grew up loving like your drumming and George Coleos's and shit. Right. So, right. um yeah, like I just, uh, I don't know how I I did all that back then. I guess I don't know. I, <laughs> yeah. Anyway, that's another story entirely. But uh, I do remember this one night, dude, in Philadelphia. This kid came up to me and he was talking to me after, and I was like, honestly, man, like I was like a kid too. I was like twenty couple, you know. And he was like, oh, that was sick, man. I watch all your drum videos on YouTube, and I was like, thanks, man. And like I rem- like there were definitely a few things I had fucked up that night, and. I remember saying to him, like, ah, yeah, you might have heard. I didn't lock in those uh, 16th notes, like, in coldly calculated design, super perfect, haha. And he was like, he got all serious, and he was like, yeah, I heard that. And I was like, oh, <laughs> shit, dude. Like, it's like kids are, like, listening to this shit, dude. Like, you know, I put all these videos of me doing shit perfect online, and then if I don't deliver, you know, like, people are going to be, like, disappointed or something. And, uh... <laughs> You know, I, I kind of had to make my peace with like, uh, potentially like disappointing people or something, <laughs> I guess. But, yeah. well, I always, uh, I always look, like, I always look at it this way, man. Like when I see my favorite drummers perform and mistakes happen, which they do, you know, I'm, I forgive yeah. them and I'm not like, you know, if I see, you know, Pete Sandoval or whoever having a bad night, you know, I'm not all of a sudden not a fan of his anymore. So it's, for me, it's kind of like. I go up there, I give everything I have, and then I Same. walk off stage and I can be proud of myself. And sometimes, you know, everything I have is not that great and sometimes it's perfect and, and you know, that's the best I can do really, right? Because in the end of the day, we're humans and it's like even the stuff I was talking about earlier kind of ties in with that. I remember distinctly, like, we went for a tour in Australia with Slowwork some years ago. I think this was for the Panic broadcast and, you know, traveling to Australia is grueling to begin with, but we had some issues with our travel and some, some instruments that didn't make it and stuff. So it was like, when we got there, it was like scrambling to get all the stuff we needed. And then we had like a gig the same night, which is like worst idea ever. When you're going to Australia, you just spend like 30 hours (laughs) flying, you know, and and laying over and stuff and you're just exhausted. And so 
you know, then you get there and then you have to play a song like Late for the Kill, which at the time for me was, now I can play it a bit easier, but at the time it was really like, you know, the double kicks in that song are like at the top of what I could do at the time. And then of course somebody yeah. films it that first night and puts it online and all I hear is like the double kicks being complete shit, you know? And I'm like, oh my <laughs> God, this is fucking horrible. What the fuck, you know? But it's like at the same time, I, I went up there and I did the best I could given the situation and, and you know. Yeah. And I'm always in my mind, like, look, if somebody wants to write me off because of that, then so be it. You know, like, I know what I'm capable yeah, of. Yeah. I know that I did my best. And, and, and you know, it's it's part of life, man. You know what I mean? And and I started being more forgiving with myself. And it's funny. I had those talks with, like, the Meshuggah guys, for example. Those guys are good friends of mine. And, and they went through a similar process over time, you know. And in the beginning, they would beat themselves up if they made any mistakes on stage and then as the years go on and you know with the level of music they play especially which is like obviously insanely technical at all times pretty much it's like look you're gonna have nights where it's gonna be a bit raw you know and and you got to be able to forgive yourself and live with that and just be like you know yeah. that's what it was and let's move on you know <laughs> and you can't I definitely and, you know when, when sorry ahead, when, when people come up to you afterwards like you mentioned that too you know that's also one thing that i've learned is like that happened to me a few times when I was younger when somebody came up to me and be like, that's the best show I've ever seen, greatest drumming. And I'd be like, ah, oh, thanks, man, I suck tonight. And then, you know, you look back on that and you're like, that's not what I would want to hear my favorite drummer say, you know? <laughs> so I don't say that shit I know. anymore. I, you know? I had to learn to yeah, get in yeah. the habit of being like, thanks and just accepting the compliment. Exactly, you know? exactly. Because um, it's it's a compliment still. And, and to them, it was magical, you know, so... Yeah, dude. Yeah. I mean, I'll, I'll say this, dude. I saw you live a lot, especially when I was younger and I was never not anything but impressed and <laughs> Thank you. totally stoked, you know, I Thank mean, for you. real dude. Like, yeah. And like, yeah, it's, it is funny though. It, it's, I'm definitely, I, if I felt like I played bad, it used to like ruin my night, you know? And, and Likewise. now it's, yeah. I, I've been able to let go a lot better. Um, but it's, it was a struggle, man, especially because of how I kind of got started with like doing all the drum videos and then being like, oh shit, like, you know, right? I don't know. It's, it was an interesting thing, but yeah, like, and I, I do, I work hard to try and like be consistent, but there are still days, dude, where it's like, you know, it's just tough, man. Like there were, dude, I, when I was in the faceless, we hit a moose in a van once we were lucky we all survived, but we, we finished like. Dude, yeah, that's a whole nother story, dude. It was wow. fucking crazy. Insane. But we uh, we ended up finishing the tour in two separate rental cars and playing a show like on no sleep, a faceless show. Like after that, I was like, <laughs> I got through it. It wasn't great, but I got through it. And after that, I was just like, dude, uh, I'm I gotta like chill. I gotta give cut myself some slack because like if I can do that, like I need to stop worrying about how I play so much every night and I don't know. Anyway, right. now I'm just right. ranting again. But, no, uh, but it's, it's, it's great, man. It's like rant talking with you. Yeah, no, it's, it's, it's a blast, man. And I think, I think at the end of the day, like if we can sum it up, you know, doing what we do, just like, I think anybody who has a passion and follows it and works on it, you always keep growing, always keep learning. And it's things that you then apply in the rest of your life as well. Like if you're able to be more, you know, cut yourself more slack on your drumming, then you're able to, you know, be a little bit more forgiving with yourself with other things in life that have nothing to do with music and where you might also be hard on yourself. And so we grow as people. And that's the beauty about, I think, what we do, you know, you and I like and, and all the people out there that, you know, whether it's musicians or some other 
you know, passion that they have that they invest a lot of time and effort in is that you just, it's a growing process. You know, my, my mom, my late mom used to say like, son, you, you never stop learning. You know, like she told me this, she was in her, probably in her sixties. And she's like, cause I was like, man, when do I ever get better at stuff? And she's like, look at me, like I'm way older than you and I'm still learning new things every day. And that was, that stuck with me because it's, it's so true. And, and when you accept that Amen. and when you understand that you kind of, you know, you kind of, cut yourself more slack like you said and i think that's a good thing but you still at the same time you still push really hard to do the best you can damn dude i uh i know we all let you go here in a sec but uh yeah i really appreciated uh hearing that actually i were you tight with your mom yeah man totally yeah she my parents have been super supportive my whole life you know they've been you know they, they without them i probably wouldn't be here today you know and and they were so supportive they they you know they always encouraged me to play when i wanted to do music coming out of high school they sent me to a, a school in france that's kind of like like the music institute here in la you know where it's full-time like music and then you know they always helped me out the years after that when i was kind of struggling or you know when i needed something like they're always there and they never said like oh when are you getting a real job you know what i hear from so many people's experience with their parents you know other musicians like i didn't have that you know i just they came to see my shows even when i was like playing death metal and oh, like yeah. crazy shit so it's like yeah my I, mom too man yeah that's awesome man i mean when you have that when you have that support you know it, it really you know it, it makes a big difference and you can really like kind of have your f mind free to commit to to just being the best you can so i'm, I'm super thankful does, to them man. you know and i'm glad your Me mom too. was and, the and same Oh, go ahead. Sorry. So, no, I was saying I'm glad your mom's the same with that because I know how much that means. Yeah, dude, it really does. And uh, I'll hop off here in a minute. I know you originally saying you were we were going to try to stick to an hour and we've gone way over that night. It was I too really much appreciate fun. the time, dude. Yeah, man. <laughs> dude, it was a lot of fun. I, uh, But yeah, I just when you mentioned your mom, I thought I'd ask that just because, uh, yeah, it's been uh, it's, I've been always considered myself like very fortunate to have I have a wonderful mother and I think all the best musicians uh, out there it seems like uh some of the greatest ones start out with having uh, a really good supportive parent so i was just curious uh, yes. about you and that's awesome to hear but anyway uh dude i don't want to take up any more of your time i feel bad <laughs> to go on so long <laughs> it's all but, good uh, man again really, it was a lot of fun so thank you <laughs> dude yeah i uh i really appreciate the time dude and you know aside from putting it on a podcast like it just means a lot to me to be able to chat with you and uh yeah, man. I'll send you an email too with some some music stuff, and I'll send you that uh, Nasm stuff at some point. And sweet. Uh, yeah, dude. Yeah, man. But dude, thank you so much uh, for everything. Yeah. Thanks, Alex. Yeah, man. It's it's truly been a pleasure. I've I really enjoyed it, and uh, thanks for having me. And good luck with the recording, man. I know you're going to be hitting the studio soon, so I can't wait to hear what you're going to be doing with those guys, man. I'm sure it's going to kill all kinds of ass. <laughs> oh, dude. Thank you, man. Yeah, I will definitely send you something as soon as I have something to to show. And and thank you, dude. Yeah. Anyway, yeah, dude. Sick. You're sick. <laughs> <laughs> you too, man. Cheers. <laughs> Take good, take good care right, of man, yourself, and you later, uh, yeah, man, I'll talk to you later. Thank you. Likewise, dude. Cheers. Bye. What's up again, guys? It's me, Rudy. Uh, this is after the phone call. Um, just wanted to say again really quick, thank you so much to Dirk for coming on and talking with me. Um, I can't stress enough how much that meant to me, and uh, I really, really thoroughly enjoyed it. So again, if you're unfamiliar with Dirk, you should definitely check him out. He rules. And uh, that's pretty much it for today. I'll definitely be doing some more episodes of me just chatting, but every now and then 
I want to have on kind of a special guest that means a lot to me, and I certainly have a few other people I plan on asking. So anyway, thank you again, Dirk. I hope you guys all enjoyed that very much, and uh, I will talk to you soon. Peace out.